Yeah, so O'Hare and, and I were just it's, the genesis of Serenus is ad hoc, out of character. O'Hare and I were just talking offline. We couldn't like we couldn't deal with the crap on Fintits this morning. There are other couple rooms going on, and we're just like, you know, enough. Let's just do our own room. Yeah, I mean it. So, um, so O'Hare, you you're kind of the, the driving force behind this room. So, why don't you run with it for a while? What do, you, what do you want to talk about? Where do you want to go? Well, I got a lot of stuff we can talk yeah. about. What direction do you want to go? Well, with? I think I think we just pick up where we left off with regard to like a lot of uh, talk around energy right now, uh, you know, and a lot of these energy stocks and everybody's become, you know, we went from no one wanted energy to literally they can't get enough energy. And I think it's it's a slippery slope because, you know, if there's a hiccup in oil prices and it's inevitable, uh, there are a lot of people out there that are going to get hurt because a lot of these names, especially a lot of the Canadian names are very much levered to any incremental rise or fall in, in the price of crude. So, you know, where I was just looking, like, for instance, the other day, uh, crude fell. All these names got, you know, they were down 6 7%, and Exxon and, and Chevron were up, actually, on the day. So they don't understand how levered a lot of these names are. So I just, you know, I think that's kind of where we should uh, pick it up. So to that end, let's be very clear. In the room that you and I were both in a few minutes ago, and someone asked the question, what to do with energy stocks? I said, look, structurally, if you were bullish energy, and I hear you and I may disagree on this, but that's fine. It doesn't really matter. It's more about trying to think of an intelligent framework in which to operate. If one had been bullish on energy, and if one you know, had a fundamental outlook to be bullish, and I was very bullish, but as you and I both spoke, I get no credit for yesterday, neither do you. <laughs> Shot clock gets reset to zero every day. And, you know, we shouldn't get caught with late recency bias. And we all think these companies are good managements and the greatest since it's like spread and blah, 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 blah. Today's a new day. And I've been around long enough and made enough mistakes to know that I just don't know. And, you know, right here, right now, I don't believe you were in the room yesterday, but we had a great space. Tommy Thornton, as I was telling you earlier, great technician chartist. He was referencing the daily sentiment indicators up at 96 They've only been at this level, I think, four times in the last 20 years or thereabouts. And, you know, this is just not a good entry point, even if you're bullish. And I prematurely, you know, took down. I mean, I got cautious a little bit in December because of Omicron. But then kind of faded, and I was public about that. That kind of faded away. Then I went back in. And then, you know, two or three weeks ago, like, these things are starting to stall out, blah, blah, blah. The fact of the matter is the energy was churning. And then along comes the horrible Ukraine situation. And so I just think right here, right now, I mean, I happen to be very bullish longer term. But right here, right now, the question I asked you all here, okay, you know, if you had $100 million, what would you do with it? And you don't have to answer, that's a rhetorical question, not a literal question. If you had a new account, would you put it all to work now, even if you're bullish on energy? Like, that's a tough ask. And, and, and I think you agree, and we were discussing in the room, you know, God forbid, you know, let's hope that Putin gets taken out or there's a peace, you know, there's a truce or there are negotiations or whatever. I mean, you can have the market up thousands of points, energy down 20%, and the much-hated Kathy Woodstock's up enormous. You could lose like 20% just like that. So my point, it's not about is energy a buyer or sell, because everyone has their own opinion about that. I just think even if you're bullish... I, I just think it's a bad entry point right here, right now. So, now someone's going to run away listening to this. Yeah, I heard George. You know, he's fighting with Cuppy and blah, 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 and he's bearish in energy. 
fuck no, I'm not bearish on energy. Go look at my, my, my Twitter history, all right? But the problem is it's a timing question. If you say to me, hey, you know what, George? All the short-term stuff you and I here are talking about, I, I believe in energy, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be a lot higher a year from now, up 100%, which, by the way, I happen to believe. Don't bother me with this short-term nonsense. Fine, then, then ignore everything we're going to talk about. But on the other hand, if you don't want, you know, if you're if you're worried that you know you don't want to run the car in the ditch, you could you could lose 10, 20 percent pretty quick. Maybe this isn't the best entry point. So I want to I want to be very clear how I catch it. It's a question of time frames. But getting away from energy itself, I mean that's a good launching off point out here. You know, maybe we could expand that because you you run money, you're a pro, you've been out a long time, you got tire trucks on your back just like I do. As you sit right today, right here, right now, and maybe you want to speak in terms of time frames as well, as you look at the market, it could be the market, not just energy in particular, but the market more generally. If someone gave you $100 million, a question I asked you on the phone a few minutes ago here, $100 million right here, right now, and, you know, they're not going to measure you daily or whatever, but, you know, medium-term investor, whatever. If someone gave you $100 million right here, right now, doing with the money would you be partly invested fully invested i mean would you be long would you be short what sectors would you focus on maybe i just want to get into your head and understand like how you're thinking about the market right now here yeah that's uh that's a that's a fair question i mean and that's the question that you posed to that uh individual that was in that other space and you know a lot just to back up a lot of people have gotten the idea that you know when they've made some money and they're right that it's just going to continue to to be this way and they're going to continue to be right. And if they're right, they must be good. And those two don't equate. Sometimes you're just right because you got lucky. And that's another thing, you know, people don't like to admit uh, you just happen to hit it uh, at the right time. And so right now, you know, if we have an, you know, say, say you brought, you brought your money over, you said, Hey, Conrad, you know, I want to give you a hundred million. Uh, I would say, look, you know what, we're going to have 20, 30% in cash. I do believe cash is, uh, you know, it's king. You know, a lot of people, you know, famously, Bill Gross said recently that cash is trash. I mean, this is an expert investor. He's been in it 50 years. You know, I look up to him. I think he's a great, uh, you know, he's had a fantastic career, but he, he was saying, you know, cash is trash. And I believe cash is probably the way to go right now. So 20, 30% in cash is not a, an outrageous ask. I would be putting money into some select uh, media names, uh, old media. I would be putting money into the fertilizer stocks. I think they'll continue to do well. If you have energy exposure and you're heavily into energy, I would hedge it uh, and I would uh, either hedge it outright or I would use uh, areas of the energy market that people aren't really looking at right now or focusing on, which are like the refiners. I think the refining stocks are going to do very well over the next few quarters, potentially the next couple of years. Their margins are only going to get better as the price of crude stays high. It doesn't have to go to 200. I mean, some of these rooms, George, as you know, some of these guys have been calling out, you know, 200, $300 oil. It may very well happen. I mean, we saw $147 oil. I'm not saying you couldn't see $200 oil. That could that could, that could happen. That could happen quickly. The problem with that is when you have these kind of spikes, it's just they, they give it all back. I mean, you have massive spikes, and then they have a big retracement. They don't typically stay elevated. Now, this price here, you know, I, I said a few weeks ago, if oil trades between 80 to 110, I think that's kind of the sweet spot. That's good for everybody, right? That's going to be good for the refiners. It's going to be good for the exploration companies. It's going to be good for all the inputs, you know, um, you know, Halliburton's of the world, Schlumberger's. So everybody benefits with oil at, 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 at like an 80 to 100, $110 price. They, that, 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 you know, as that price goes higher, you start having knock-on effects, you know, economic effects. So 
you know, like uh, like you said, going back to like a hundred million dollars today, if you had to put it to work, it certainly wouldn't look like hundred million dollars you put to work, uh, you know, even a month ago, right? Because again, energy has moved tremendously. A lot of these names, specifically, you know, uh, and I hate to say it, a lot of these names that are the smaller names out of Canada uh, that a lot of these guys are talking about, they're highly levered to oil. So when the price of crude goes up a couple, two, three, four, five bucks, the stocks can go up twenty percent, right? This conversely, if the price drops as it did the other day. Uh, you know, albeit temporarily, a lot of those stocks get hammered. And so to your point, George, if the price of crude were to come in, say 20, 30 bucks, uh, a lot of these highly levered names, you know, could potentially lose, you know, half their market value. I, mean, yeah, so, I, I, I think yes. it could be, could be a disaster for these guys. Yeah. So that's fine. I mean, we just want to be very clear here. So I think it's fair to say that you know, short term, you and I both agree, like now's the time not to be putting money in energy. We could be wrong on that, but we agree on that. I think longer term, I'm, I'm probably more optimistic. I am more optimistic than you are on energy. But the point is, and, and, and listen, you, we all we all fall victim to FOMO. I do it, you do it, we all do it, all right? And it's kind of like, you know what this reminds me of here? Remember that famous story with uh, Stan Druckermiller? You know, he's far smarter and richer than this old You mean in 99, 2000? Exactly. Yeah. Right? And he yeah. even talked, you should watch his YouTube video. It's hysterical. He talks about it now. You know, here it is, twenty some odd years later. And I knew a guy that was working for Stan at Soros at the time. And they get the fourth quarter of '99, and it was October. And he just couldn't take it anymore. He was missing this huge party. You know, there's nothing worse than missing a big party. So Stan goes in and buys the shit out of the, out of the tech stocks. And you know, he's a pig. He's a momentum guy. He's a pig great investor if there was a matt rushmore for hedge fund managers his his face would be up there and you know trade starts working and you get into like february march i think tech peak first week of march 2000 and it all goes the wrong way and he just gets blown up and i marvel and I, I, this gives me a chance to tell that story again it's one of my best stories people talk about what is a bubble it's a term that's thrown around Excessively, in my opinion, the real definition of a bubble, the best definition of a bubble I ever heard, is something that changes human behavior. It induces people to do things they wouldn't have done otherwise. So, you know, tulip bulbs going to the moon, you get FOMO, you got to get in because nothing's more galling than the guy across the street, your neighbor making money, and you're not making money. Nothing's worse than tech stocks going up. Nothing worse than Kathy Wood stocks going up, SPAC stocks, right? It's like stuff you would have never bought if you if you were in a good place. But FOMO sets in. So Drucker Miller, one of the best fund managers of all head fund managers of all time, buys tech stocks, makes money for a while, and then blows up on the market tanks. Eventually wound up closing his fund. He was working for Soros, who then went and started Duquesne, you know, whatever. Actually he'd been running Duquesne alongside, but don't worry about Stan. He's got billions, so he's done just fine. And Julian Roberts, this is hilarious. This is how screwed up a bubble can be. And I don't know if you've heard me go on this rant before, Conrad, and I want you to talk. So you have two guys, Stan Druckermiller and Julian Robertson. Both would be in the Hall of Fame for best investors ever. And one went long tech, that's Stan. And the other went short tech. And they both blew up. Why? Stan, because he came in, you know, in the eighth inning of the game. Just when they were about to, the bartender was about to, the bar was about to close, and the cops were going to show up. And Stan, and, and, sorry, Julian, 
Because he was bearish the whole way up, and he got carried out. So here it is. You have two of the smartest guys out there, the most successful guys out there, both getting blown up by tech, one long by a bubble, one long, one short. So who in God's name? Oh, here, you, me, everybody in this room. Just who the hell do we think we are, okay? When you're getting into bubbles and bear markets, I mean, it is so freaking hard. And, and it just bothers me. I, I almost put up uh, you know, the other line I use a lot, which is, I know I'm not young enough to know everything. Again, I'm not young enough to know everything. And I say that not to insult the younger folks in the room. I wish I was younger. I was young once. But there are some advantages that come with being older. You've made a lot more mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes. Oh, here, I venture to say I've made more mistakes than you, you have because I'm older than you. And you learn from experience. And the sort of blithe ignorance these know-nothing fin twitters who have only been in the markets in 2009 think it, this is normal. No, this is not normal. This is abnormal. And so I didn't put I, – I, I, I'm, I'm not young enough to know everything as the title of the room. So instead I toned it down. I said, what will the market do? I do not know. This is a really hard time. And anyone who speaks with the confidence that they know – you should just leave that room immediately. And that, by the way, is the real essence. If Cuppy's listening or any of Cuppy's friends are listening, maybe have them come in because we need to clear the air. But that is what really pissed me off about the whole Cuppy craziness and his Russian recommendation. You know, he's throwing shit against the wall. You know, it's time to be reckless. It's not a question of he made a mistake. We all make mistakes. It's like, this is hard. We don't know. And you have people on Fin Twitter hanging on every word, you know, what he says. And I mean, my God, like, there's just no place for this. There's no place for this. So I don't know. Here, are you? Let me ask you a question. So you've been doing this a long time. Do you have a, a view? You know, as they say, your beliefs and your portfolio. They're not always the same thing. Now, you may, you may say, well, you know, I have to be fully invested, blah, blah, whatever. Okay. The question I want to ask you is, in terms of your view of the market, everyone has feelings, even though you shouldn't trust them. From where you sit, sort of in the overall scheme of things, in the 20-some-odd years you've been doing this, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, 10 being most bullish, 1 being least bullish. Like, where are you? And then the second question around that, whatever your view is, bullish or bearish, what's the confidence or your conviction associated to that? Is it 10 being high conviction, 1 being low conviction? So... You know, I know I'm giving you sort of a psychological investment proctology exam. You can do the same to me if you want in turn. But both in terms of bullish, bearish, and conviction, low conviction, 10 being high bullet, bullish, one being bearish, 10 being high conviction, one being low conviction. How would you answer that question? Well, I would start by saying uh, that question is a very broad uh, uh, question, right? Am I bullish the overall market or am I bullish the portfolio that we're managing? So I would answer by saying I am probably uh, I'm in the middle as far as the whole entire market, I'm like a five. Uh, and my you know, conviction on that is probably around a five. It's hard to say, man. It's, this is a tough time because there's so many macro events happening all at the same time. Uh, the market. So just as Hillary Clinton was confused under the fog of war, is that what you're dealing with here? The fog of a bear market? Sorry. Uh, the fog. Well, listen, I mean, we've just literally been uh, we're coming out of 
the biggest bull market we've seen since, you know, literally 2000. I mean, in a lot of these names, it's just incredible. Uh, and I can tell you, I'll be the first to admit, we missed a lot of we're value guys. So we missed a lot of these names simply because they don't make our screens. Right. So when you ask the question, am I bullish or bearish the market? I would say I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle. I don't know which way the market's really going to go. I tend to be a little bearish, more bearish than bullish. Um, I think the market's coming off a massive bull run over the last couple of years, you know, fed by uh, the Federal Reserve. I mean, just with a wash with just trillions of dollars in new capital coming in, new money. Um, that's not going to go away right over. You know, it's not going to go away overnight. It's starting to. You're starting to see cracks. I mean, a lot of these names, COVID names, they're, they're down 60, 70, 80 percent. I've been in some of your rooms talking about ARC. I mean, that thing is a disaster. It's probably going to 20 before, you know, I mean, there's a lot of problems. And so uh, specific to our strategy as value managers, I would say there's a lot of things out there in the special, and we're value, we're deep value, we're special situations. So we look at restructurings. Uh, we look at M&A. We look at just deeply un misunderstood companies, right? Um, and sometimes we're very early and it doesn't work out. I mean, I was in a space earlier today Briefly, and you, I think you mentioned the coal stocks. We were in coal stocks four or five years ago. And the coal stocks we owned all went tits up. They went, they went through, uh, through reorg, right? And now we didn't have a heavy weighting in them, but we ended up taking a bath. We were firm believers in coal. It just didn't work, right? We were too early. Coal is the thing to do now, right? With, with Russia and Ukraine and what's going on and with energy prices, this energy crisis, everybody's bullish on uranium and, and crude and coal. So you can be right and wrong on the timing and you could be wrong and right on the timing. It's, just, it, it, it's hard to say right now. Yes. Uh, in this it, vortex in this it, vortex of information. All right. All right. So, so, so here, so I'm going to, let me go to round two. Again, feel free. I'm not trying to get, stick it to you, but feel free. You, you can stick it back to me anytime you want. So is Peter Lynch should always say in the smart guy, it's a market of stocks. So I asked you a very hard question. What's the market going to do? That's always, that's a nasty question. So let's do it another way. Within the market, um, you know, it's a market of stocks or group story sectors. So, you know, one of the problems you have with the market for, you know, a long while, you had this, you know, relentless rise in tech and the FANG stocks and active managers getting redeemed. All the money's going to passive. You know, it's true that in the aggregate active managers underperformed, but it became particularly acute the last few years. I know you did really well. You know, you told me you were up 30. See, I do, I do listen to you whole here. I know you're up 32% in 2016, so there. Um, but stocks. And so in terms of the opportunity set, I mean, life is not linear. Sometimes there's a lot to do. And, you know, so many ideas, so little capital, right? Like you want to go to the bet, you know, it's just, you just don't have enough money to buy everything you want to buy. Right. Other times you do your screens. There's nothing, nothing looks interesting. No news stories. It's like all tapped out. You know, you just from a bottom up base, you just can't find much to do. So, my question to you is I'm sorry for the ramp. I'm trying to set up the question for you. How does the opportunity set to you look like in terms of groups and stocks? Do you, are you finding a lot to do, little to do, or medium sized amount to do? It's a great question. You know, and I think the best way to answer is and this is, you know, my, my, my partner, Brian, he's been in the business 30 years. I've been in the business 25 years, 26 years. Uh, if the best thing we've learned over those, over those years, if we don't know, then we're going to take a step back. If we're not sure, we're going to take a step back. And you learn that through experience, as you put it, you know, pointedly, we've all have tire tracks on our backs. I mean, we've been run over a few times. You learn from those mistakes. And I think 
Right now, the fact that everybody's so bullish on one area, it, it scares us, right? Because if everybody is on one side of that boat, what do we do as value investors? Do we continue being on that side or do we kind of slowly migrate to the other side of that boat? And I can tell you, um, you know, we've been in energy for a long time. We, we've started to schnitz a little bit off uh, here and there. I mean, we're still bullish on energy. Don't get me wrong. I think this ESG, and by the way, I've been in some of your rooms months and months ago where I've mentioned ESG. No one was talking about ESG six months ago. I was, I was pointing ESG out when space is just open. I said, it's, I think we've topped ESG at the peak. And no one thought, you know, everybody was crazy. Because a lot of these rooms were Tesla rooms, right? Uh, green Energy and Tesla and Rivian and all the uh, Neos and all of that stuff. So everybody was bullish on it. And I would come into these rooms and everybody point the finger and just hit on me because I would just say, look, you know, people need to look at, uh, you know, this ESG thing's probably peaked uh, and it's probably going to go the other way. And here we are six months, seven, eight months later, and that's exactly what's going on. One thing I saw on Twitter this morning, which was interesting, somebody had uh, tweeted this out and I don't know who it was here. I'd have to look for it. Uh, they specifically asked the question on pension funds and how pension funds have been selling energy investments for the better part of the last 10 years. And it's sped up in the last five years. You know, the state of California, for instance, the CalPERS, CalSTRS, uh, the UC system in California, uh, Michigan, New York, uh, New Jersey, I mean, you name it, all these pension funds out there, endowment funds out there, university, you know, endowments. I mean, they've all been shedding energy names for the last five years as fast as they could because it didn't look good, right? So when they're going to meet with their, when they have their investment policy meetings every year, and you know, all of a sudden the CIO is being bar barraged with questions on why they own you know, ExxonMobil or Chevron or Halliburton or Schlumberger or Occidental Petroleum or whatever it was, and they don't want that discussion. So it's better for them to just get rid of it and buy Tesla because that discussion is it's much easier. And as you know, George, you've been in the business a long time. Sometimes you know, we say we drive the bus, a lot of times the fact of the matter is the clients end up driving the bus. And, and if you listen to your clients too long, they may drive that yeah. bus right off. No, O'Hare, O'Hare. And that, that's a brilliant point, which maybe those who haven't run institutional money like you have don't appreciate. And that is, it depends who your client is. Is it you or is it CalPERS? You know, what's their, what's their RIF post power? What's their time horizon? I'm sure there's a lot of stuff, um, O'Hare, you would do for yourself that you wouldn't do for a client and vice versa. All right. Let's just stop for a second here. Um, so this was an ad hoc hastily called room between O'Hare and myself. We just were like a little bit bummed out by some of the rooms that were going on today. And we just couldn't deal with some of the nonsense out there. And also I got in the dust up with somebody on Twitter. Uh, and so it, it, there's no particular topic here. It's really meant to be a stream of, stream of consciousness. So Maybe we could open it up for some questions. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So whoever wants to get in there. So let's do Baron first, and then we're going to go to Don't Say We Didn't Tell You. Hey, Baron, what's up? Hi, George. How are you doing? Um, I appreciate your uh, your time on Twitter as well as your experience and your, uh, the information you provide. Thank you. Um, it's it's very insightful. The uh, So I have, I've had a, a kind of a working theory of kind of what's happening. And to understand where we're going and kind of what to do, for me at least, and for, you know, people that um, – I communicate with you have come up with a theory of what you think is happening right and in order to do that you know i've kind of come up with the conclusion of from a number of sources that what's happened over time is potentially and again i just am asking your opinions on this too but i believe this is happening uh no tinfoil hats nothing like that but the fed uh the the, the fed uh is around about ready to hike rates and make that decision the timing is very strange that uh, 
some things happened uh, geopolitically that would enable them not to do so. And, it, and them hiking rates would affect their, the government's ability to pay down their debt, which they can't afford. If you then backtrack and say, all right, well, what would, what would stop that? What would, what would actually prevent them from hiking rates above a quarter of a percent or so? That could be war. That could be lots of things, right? Conveniently, this war came about. I'm not saying I'm not going to say anything about that, but it did come about. And the timing is insanely crazy. Even Biden himself said, we'll know what when it's happening one month from today, February 24th. Well, when does the Fed hike the rates Mar- or actually announce it? March 24th. It is too ironic because for months I've been holding this theory, kind of sharing with my groups, you know, 20, 30 people that I talk to on a regular basis. And I've been following uh, cycle analysis since um, last year, since around August. I started following some people who do cycle analysis. I learned about it. And I'm no expert, so I don't, I'm not coming on here pretending to be. So please don't anybody you know, <laughs> hate on me. But uh, let's say I'm an average investor, learned a lot in 2020, 2021. I'm following. I'm a scientist uh, in life, and I you know, try to observe and learn from everybody. And don't try to draw opinions too quickly, but let them form and then – identify and learn from history, you know, as it, as it happens and then use history like yourself, you know, people that like yourself talking about what's happened in history to identify what those in power do. Why has the market as following cycle analysis, it's ironic because there's a couple of people that have mapped this out on charts and have shown it's following it to the T as well. At the same time, there are world events, media events, government, you know, um, things that are happening in the government that happen to fuel those fuel the downside right and the timing seems to be very like this month we all know this month this last one month period one and one half month period has been very timely very critical in the what's happening so from february 24th when that announcement was made and i said you know what i do work in ukraine and in russia um so remotely so i, I know a little bit what's going on over there but the um you know, the worlds are at their weakest. Of course, you know, if Russia was going to do something, they're going to go at it now. It's just opportune timing. Forget about, you know, the rationale and how horrible it is. But the um, from them, but the event itself, are we stepping in to help? Are we pushing whatever we're doing? What is it leading to? And whatever it's leading to is the Fed doesn't have the high rates. They get the excuse of, well, you know, common enemy number one is Russia. We get to blame Russia on everything. If we have failed policies, so just throwing these things out there. If we have failed policies perceived by our people, by the people of the European Union, for example, the West in general gets to throw Russia under the bus, claim that's Russia's fault when the markets crashed. When the markets crash, you know, collapse, correct, whatever happens, right, to whatever degree it happens, they then get to say, well, we can't hike rates now because, you know, we don't need to. And we just kicked everybody out of the casino and forcing them back to work. All by, albeit increasing stagflation possibilities, right? So people have less money, going to be spending less. Now the Fed gets to come in month after month saying, look, we told you it was transitory. But it's not because it's anything the government or the Fed did. It's because of the war. And when we go into an election year in 2022, well, what are they going to do? They're going to blame that. Now, back up for a second. Let's talk about energy. How does energy play into this? Well, it's really strange that when the U.S. government and the European governments got together for NATO, the first day they were talking about Russia and what they're going to do. The second and third day, all they talked about was renewable energy and how we have to 
start spending money on the renewable energy. That was the huge, huge flare to me that I was correct. That this to some degree, to some degree, whatever I'm thinking here is correct, that it's going in that direction. And these are the justifications and rationales that they're going to use. Would it not make sense that they're going to drive energy prices up so much? Right. That like using Russia as a common yep. enemy, they're going to say energy is so expensive and we all hate it and we can't do right. anything about it that we right. need to do a spending bill. Right. And so, you guys have to vote for these spending bills. And because rates are down low, we can afford to do more anyway. And now, right. how does that affect the market and our ability to make money in the market? And how should we invest based on that? Yeah, so you, you okay, so you pose a question, but you obviously have a narrative. And, you know, uh, how should I say this? I have a lot of respect for the, for the, for the narrative you, you, you posted. I'm not on even number of days. I agree with it on odd number of days. I disagree with it, but um, yeah, I, I put it this way. Let's assume we're, we get, you know, we're one and done or two and done or whatever it is. They've managed to get rates down the last couple of weeks by not doing anything, just open mouth operations as they're called. If we get in, and so it's a useful scapegoat now, of course, we can't raise rates because the world's going to come to an end because of Russia. So it's the free all pass. Which is why, going back to the beginning of the discussion, it's a very confusing situation. Not to cop out, but it's very fluid. I'm going to repeat, you know, Joe here was talking about how you have a lot of cash to start. I agree with that. I think it's not a time to be swinging the bat big time. I'll repeat a story I've told in this room a couple times, most recently yesterday. Dennis Gartman, who we're going to have in, I think, on Thursday, he tells a story when he was a young man trading in the pits of the bond floor in Chicago. This goes back to the, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s. And it's, it's like a scene at a trading place. The market's up, down, up, down, down, up, buy, sell, sell, buy. You all remember the scene with Dan Aykroyd and... Um, Eddie Murphy, I just love that movie. I, it's, I, I can't watch it enough. So even his friend, he asked his friend, well, you know, what do you think? You know, buy or sell, bullish or bearish? His friend said, I'm flat and I'm nervous. In other words, if you're not nervous, you're not paying attention is what it boils down to. So you ask a question that's deceivingly difficult question to answer. I think it's a time for having less exposure on and I'm a very aggressive investor. If you then think about what, how this will play out, for those who are in the room or not in the room yesterday, I all strongly urge you to follow Michael Kantrowitz, K-A-N-T-R-O-W-I-T-Z. He is, I think, the number one rated strategist. His cornerstone uh, macro, they just got bought out by uh, Piper Sandler. And he's making the point he's right. And he, he, he by the way, he, he is a guy you have to follow because he, he puts so much good stuff out there. And he's pointing to, based on the, the isms and all this stuff and surveys, economy's already rolling over. Uh, earnings estimates starting to roll over. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And that's going to that's gonna be a, a, a phenomenon which is going to take a few quarters to uh, unwind. Got to let it run its course. Analysts haven't even started cutting the estimates much yet. So there's a lot, a lot of, shall we say, lack of upside for the next few months, 12, 18 months. And for those of you that are more bearishly inclined as I am, that means, you know, it ain't going up, it's going down. 
So, yeah, they can they can whiff on the rate increases. To your question, do one or two and say be done, and blame it on Russia. But it's not going to stop the economic slowdown, which is in place. It, it may well. I, I think equities are screwed either way because either you know door number one, it morphs into a recession, earnings down, market down. Door number two, maybe not a technical recession, but really slow growth. Still high energy prices, food prices, accelerating wage gains, squeezing on profit margins. So you'll be in this sort of stagflationary type of environment with heightened uncertainty. And that's also conducive to contracting PE ratios. I'm sorry to sound so downbeat, but I, I, I continue to consistently say that the stock market represents return free risk return free risk it's play on words people talk about the risk-free return and you know looking at the stuff from michael k where he's got he's got all the numbers um that would bear that out so i i think and then of course then so you can say okay george that's great i get your bs argument on the market overall what about sectors what about stocks that's why you know when, when O'Hare was talking at the, at the outset about there's certain you know it's, it's a market of stocks there are certain groups will do better than others but I think it's a very muddled picture. It's a muddled picture, but with, I think, an asymmetrical bias. I think it's skewed to the downside. I see very little chance that the market's going to go up appreciably. I see a pretty good chance it's going to drop a lot. And so for me, the expected return is very negative. And there are certainly parts of the market where I don't think it matters what the Fed does. I think the Kathy Woodstocks are continue to be complete disasters. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Um, the trade I've had on for a long while, I've talked about it a lot. I still would put it on here today, although not with the same size. You know, short the Kathy Wood stocks, long the energy stocks, and we can go on. So, I, yeah, I think implicit, and it's a very good question you asked, Baron. But I think part of the problem with the answer is the idea that, or when people ask the question, the idea that somehow the Fed can control the economy or the Fed can control the stock market. No, they can't. It can bias the economy. It can bias the stock market. But in the end, Market forces went out. So great question. Let's go on. Uh, we've got don't don't uh, don't say we didn't tell you. Followed by YS. Uh, and oh, we got Mr. Cullum in the house. And if he wants to speak and come out, that'd be great. Um, I see your D points here. I'd like Gabriel to speak. He never talks. He's a smart guy. Uh, Marathon is in the house. Danielle, I love your tweets. I know you love my tweets. There are a lot of people. KFab. There are a lot of people here who. Really, we'd like to speak up because I don't listen, like listening to myself talk. So let's go to Don't Speak, followed by um, YS. Hi, don't, don't Speak. What's up? Hi, George. Thanks for the opportunity, mate. Uh, all I wanted to just speak about was to let people know that, as I said, I agree with the last person who spoke about the Fed can raise rates. I don't, I don't agree that they can ever raise rates moving forward. And then just uh, a bit of an insight is, the, the environment that we're in will be a low-returning environment for the foreseeable. That's just my opinion. And then uh, moving forward is that you can invest across board. I said the world is big. It doesn't have just to be U, uh, U.S. stocks that we're talking about all the time. Like everyone has to go, oh, God, we need to invest in U.S. stocks. You've got the whole world to choose from, so you can always move your investments. So if the US, U.S. stocks are shit, move Invest elsewhere, mate. Look for better opportunities and better returns. And then, as I said, that you can get a better outcome. That, yeah, so, that's just yeah, my... Yeah, don't speak. Let me ask you. I sense from your accent 
you're uh, at least not native born in the U.S. Um, and so no, right. mate. Yeah, no. So I'm, yeah, you're in the U.K. or someplace. So let me ask you, what what, what parts of the what, what markets do you look at, which which might be interesting to you, or what stocks might be interesting to you outside the U.S. Right now, I'm a China. Most of my stocks are based in China, so China based. And I said, whenever there's opportunity for growth, and then if you look at the population of uh, the way I base it, like every country is like every single person. So you just look at the balance sheets of every country, and whoever has the least debt has the most opportunity in terms of growth moving forward. So I think everyone is just obsessed in terms of like the U.S. stocks. As I said, they've been great for the past for whatever how many years. But as I said, what you're saying is true. We are going back to being a picker of stocks, not just buying indexes. There's a lot of people that just buy indexes, whatever they yeah, are. Yeah, index. you know, I, I, I get that. So what what in, what markets or stocks outside the U.S. interest you? you don't mind sharing? At the moment, I'm into probably oil stocks, the energy stocks that everyone's been talking about, whether it be the Canadian oil stocks. I've got some of them on my portfolio. And as I said, I'm more diverse than anyone else. So it's just just... I'm taking anyone that can pass off the inflation growth. So any company that has got a good balance sheet and then can pass on their prices. So it better be PNG, all different types of stocks like that is my my target for the moment. I mean, probably for the next two years, anyone that can pass on cost to the actual customers and they've got a great balance sheet, that's the stocks that I believe people should be buying at the moment. Not just uh, the tech stocks. As I said, they've had a good run for the past few years. And as I said, whoever's got a balance sheet, interest rate can't rise. The 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 level that the debt is at in in the U.S., you can't raise interest rate past two percent. There's no way the Fed can raise interest rate past two percent, in my opinion, anyway, without right. crashing the market. Yeah, so, so so don't speak. That'd be really interesting because if you're right on that, um, I think it'd be really interesting to see what the effect of commodity prices is. I, I just think that. Uh, you would see yeah, commodity prices explode even further. I've got that. I've got yeah. That's what that's my theory as well. So commodity prices have got no limit. It's their time to shine. I I believe it's their time to shine for the next few years. And then I said, all is stay invested. That we all know that cash is the worst investment at the moment. So don't have cash, but all is stay invested. And then as I said, commodities are the way forward. So whether it be your gold stocks or whether it be wheat. Uh, nickel, whatever you might uh, want to buy. That, that sounds really good, Don't speak. Appreciate that. That's awesome. All right, let's move along Appreciate here. It. Let's move along here. Let's do YS and then Paul, followed by Deer Point. YS, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I really have two points, and I'll try to be a little bit of a contrarian, if you don't mind, just playing devil's advocate here. So, if all of us here in the room believe that the stock market is fucked, what are the chances that the Fed doesn't also believe that? Now, given that they believe that, they have two options. Right? Everyone seems to be concerned that they will not be hiking because they don't want to be blamed for that. But maybe they take option number two. Maybe they hike knowing fully well that the probability of the market being fucked majorly between now and election time, for whatever reason, is close to one anyway. So bite the bullet, clean your political conscience by saying you tried, Blame Russia for the fall, and then you have some time to get ahead of it later on in the season and saying, now we're trying to stimulate the economy. Right? Also, everyone's thinking that commodities are the trade right now, and that never ends well. 
right? Everyone's trying to pile on and predict the future. But also, from a war and political perspective, this may be a crisis that's also an opportunity for the United States, right? We need oil. We need gas. Russia has it. Now Putin has revealed his hand that he's thinking bigger than just the eastern Ukraine. So why not take that into consideration? Use the political good faith that America now has as a backer of Ukraine in the world. Try to defeat Putin as, as quickly as you can with over, overwhelming force or assassination that you try to cover up or whatever. Go into Russia ostensibly to protect the Russians and clean up stuff. Temporarily talk about reparations, maybe try to privatize a lot of what the oligarchs, oligarchs now own in Russia, relieve the commodity stress while you do this, and be hailed as a hero. Now, I'm not saying this is likely or easy, but if I'm Biden, I'm thinking, unless I do something, a judo move, to then invade Russia or whatever and put everyone in their place, there's no good look for me. They'll blame me that I didn't anticipate it. They blame my response. The market's going to collapse and all that. So those are my two takes. First, the Fed knows that the market's going to go down. Everyone does at this point. So buy the bullet, right? Look at the chart for the last two years. It went up and to the right. Who's really going to blame them if they lose 20, 30%? Where does that put us? Two years back? Who cares? The wealthy class might care, but people like me who have regular shitty jobs don't, right? If anything, that's part of the whole populism wave. Then increase wages? Sure. Increase wages, drive inflation. No problem. Drive interest rates up. On the other side, subsidize poor people, right? Rob Paul to pay Peter or whatever. Subsidize housing so it doesn't crash. Subsidize energy so they don't crash. Declare an emergency situation, which it is. No one's going to blame you for that. And then think about stabilization again in the next two years or so. Well, so why? So, let me, that's really no, interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think, listen... I don't like usually talk much about the Fed because everyone's got an opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one, right? I'm no good. At, I don't know anybody who can get this right. I happen to say, I think the Fed is so deeply politicized. They have no plan. They're lurching from one side of the road to the other. Um, they're just trying to put out fires. I think you're right when you say, hey, you know, better to blame all this stuff on Russia and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's say they do that. Then what do they do? Then, then you know, my guess is if they do that, commodity prices go up even more, and the bond market sells off, and blah, blah, blah. And then that's, of course, who the hell knows what's coming between now and then in terms of what goes on with the Ukraine situation. So, you know, you said it, I said it, Connor said it, and Conrad said it. There's no good outcome here. There's no, and, and to the idea that, you know, everyone knows the market's going to go down, well, Try telling it to the trillions of dollars that have flowed into the equity market. I mean, you ha you saw more money come into the stock market in 2021 than the, by, by individuals in the prior 19 years uh, put together. So, you know, there are people's opinions in their portfolio. People are fully invested. I mean, you look at the data at a Bank of America Merrill Lynch, you know, percentage of household assets and equities and blah, blah, blah. I just don't think it's a good answer. You raised a good question, but there's no good answer. All right, let's move along. I want to go to um, – oh, here, who was next? Here? Was it Paul? Or yeah, I think it's Paul. Yeah, and Paul. Then, Paul, yeah Paul, Paul and then Deer Point. Paul? Hey, thanks, George. So I guess just taking off from what the last speaker was talking about, a lot of these commodities today are the, – the markets cannot balance themselves. And we talk about oil, oil, oil. That's great, but it's not just oil. EU gas, copper, aluminum, coal – I mean, you name it, right, across the board. There is only one end result. 
how the physical markets balance themselves, uh, given that there's a real shortage of, of molecules, tons, whatever you want to call it. And that is an outright recession, you know, be it U.S., be it global. I have no idea, no freaking clue. But that is the only way. And I'd love to, you know, hear someone else's opinion. Someone thinks that there's a different way to balance some of these markets. No, Paul, 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 let me me answer. The fact that we have deficits in all these markets, oil, uh, copper, just go down the list, a lot of extractive industries. It's a result of years and years of underinvestment. And it's not something that's going to be solved with a push of a button. As the saying goes, the, the, the solution for high prices is high prices. You need to have prices at a high level for an extended period of time to try to encourage investment. And the problem is this lack of investment is further exacerbated by the ESG bullshit. Correct. And, and I'm hopeful that you know you start to see a couple things in the last few days. Maybe, maybe there might be a rethink. I mean, you know, it almost doesn't matter what any government says or does. The screwed up world that we're living People, you know, hang on to every word Elon Musk tweets. And maybe he was serious and maybe he wasn't, but he was tweeting about, you know, we need to drill for more oil and gas right now. Now, he's probably talking his book because, you know, he, he wants, you know, the stock market to crash. He owns a lot of Tesla, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, just like this is not, this room is, is not going to be allowed to, to degenerate into a Fed watching room. It's also not going to be allowed to degenerate into a crypto room or a Tesla room. So I just want to tell everybody right up front. <laughs> people come with Tesla questions, I'm going to cut you off. All right? No. Just, just, so, just say the, that. Okay, well, let me answer the question. This, okay. This, okay the, pro, the question you asked, the answer, it's not going to be solved. Any, I mean, the only way it's going to be solved is short run, get a recession. Exactly. All right? So so the Fed can't print more oil. They can't grow more wheat. These exactly. are These are structural problems. I hope that answers your questions. Is that what you had in mind? No, absolutely no. I I'm totally with you. Uh, it was it was probably less of a question, more of a statement. That's the only way it balances itself. So if you're looking at the question of what are the market, or especially I'm, I'm getting more towards the bond market. What are the price at? Did the price at for the event that okay, you know, we're having inflation, blah blah blah, and ten year needs to go to three, four, five percent, whatever it is, or do we price for the event where we're going to have a recession and a deep one at that, um, and price for a potential deflationary scenario? Um, hey, oh, stop, 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 Paul. What if I told you? Mm-hmm. We had a recession, but you know what? Yeah, inflation yeah. goes down, but we're still stuck with four or five percent inflation. Think about that. That's a possibility. Sure. So, 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 my point is, equities have had the best of all possible worlds, and now we're going to something less good. You know, we we had maximum valuation, maximum bond prices, maximum liquidity, maximum investor sentiment, record low oil prices. You know, blah 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 blah. All right, that's all gone now. And what the you know, world, what, what thing? Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, one thing I would just uh, kind of add is, you know, everybody's so bullish on energy right now. It's, I mean, like eight months ago, no one talked about energy. If you got into a room and you brought up energy, crude, whatever, everybody just laughed at you, uh, left you out the door. I mean, it, now that's the opposite. The pendulum swung so far this way that you can't get into a spaces without it, without it being energy related. So I'm an energy bull. I think energy long term is, is, you know, hydrocarbons have a have a have a have a space in your portfolio. But, you know, to George's point, I mean, when everybody's on one side of the boat as an investor, you have to be cautious. So I would just submit to you guys that the price of oil may go to 200, may go to 300. We don't know. 
But if it doesn't and it hovers between 80 and 100, I think there's plenty of opportunities in energy. But if that happens, if you own energy names that are highly levered, the exploration companies, a lot of the Canadian uh, uh, companies, some in the U.S., you know, if they're highly levered to the price of crude. So if the price of crude goes from where it is today at 115 to 85, a lot of those names can get cut in half. You know, so I would just submit that you guys, you know, people need to be very careful. There are plenty of other opportunities in the market that you can invest in and make money long term. You know, long term, I mean, you know, in the next couple, two, three years um, and not jump from one from one idea to the next. You know, everybody went from COVID stocks to energy. It seemed like overnight now. Right. So no one talks about ARC anymore. No one. Talk I. By the way, George, have you seen a, a Tesla room lately? Have you you know, I have it. So that's my point. My point is no one's talking about this stuff anymore. Everybody's now an energy bull. Everybody now is an energy expert. Everybody's a commodities expert. So, you know, you know, people need to just kind of be aware that, uh, you know, money kind of flows, you know, to the path of least resistance. And there are a lot of people out there that are, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep when it comes to, to crude oil, energy and related names. So, you know, I, I, I would just say let's just let's have a level head. There are plenty of opportunities out there, you know. Awesome. Over here. All right. Let's move on. So we're going to do, uh, oh, we got my good friend, Mr. Deerpoint, and we're going to follow him with MG, and then we're going to do M. Deerpoint, my friend, how are you? I'm doing well, George. How are you? Sorry, I'm, I'm outside. It's like 80 degrees here in South Carolina today, so it might be a little bit loud. Deerpoint, um, Deerpoint, Deerpoint, that's a flagrant file. You're peacocky, 80 degrees. Where are you? I'm in South Carolina. Cool. Where in South Carolina? Um, I'm on the coast. Charleston, near there? Uh, yeah, uh, Hilton Head right now, awesome. currently. Yeah. All right, well. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I was just going to kind of touch on two things. Maybe I'll just throw it up in the nest. But this is just um, um, the cushion that companies have kind of built, um, basically. Um, and what this is basically saying is um, – Companies don't really have a reason to create inflation right now to safeguard profits. This is all an aggregate, though. Um, and so, like, as you've seen since the 80s, they've just kind of built a, a huge cushion because I know somebody was talking about, you know, companies kind of creating inflation to drive to drive profits. But there's a massive cushion there. But what I really wanted to speak about was just kind of uh, maybe the whole OPEC and spare capacity issue. And um, I wanted to make sure there were not too many of our Saudi friends in the room because I didn't want to get hajukjeed for talking about the crown prince. But um you know, like uh, Saudi Arabia has has basically been cutting output. And I, I think that this has led to a lot of the kind of supply uh, driven issues that you've had. I mean, like I think for, for uh, on average since, um, you know, the like mid 20 teens, um, they've kind of uh, been keeping that output under um, under two million barrels a day. And I mean, this has, again, led to a lot of those supply issues. And I, I don't think until you really start to see um, spare capacity come back online, um, which it, it's still currently falling. Will you really, uh, you're still going to have that kind of like, let's say demand crunch in, in the oil market. So I still think relatively, um, you know, it's, it's in a good position, but I, I think everybody kind of agrees on that. So those were just kind of my two points I wanted to bring up. Yeah, no, totally your point. I don't know how much of a conversation you heard. I mean, you know, it really is a question of timeframes. I mean, you and I agree on, on the other case. Well, the question is right here, right now. And it's funny. So I, I, I would like Gabriel Kaplan to come up and talk if he would. But I just retweeted a couple things from his Twitter feed, which I, I just loved this a couple of weeks ago. He writes here, this is from like a week or two ago. Uh, where the hell did it go? Oh, yeah. This is from the February 21st. I've never seen so much talk about oil in my Twitter feed. So that's a tell. 
you have, you know, as I said earlier, after in the room, um, the in my Twitter feed, I got a dust up this morning, but so many people <clears throat> would chime in, oh, oil, 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 and you know, you combine that with, as I said a few minutes ago, the sentiment indicator, Tommy Thornton technical thing, the daily sentiment indicator is up at 96. I mean, it wouldn't take much. I mean, if oil fell, yeah, whatever I'd really like. Let's just get the correction over with if there's going to be one and just de-risk the oil long and then we can reassess. I just, it was sentiment where it is and Kramer now bullish on energy and, <clears throat> you know, all the all the expert armchair immunologists and expert oil economists. It just, it just makes, it just bothers me. So anyway, we're, but otherwise you and I are all good to your point. Um, all right, let's move on. I think we're doing, uh, we're going to do M. And, and then Dave, my friend Dave Collum, and then MG. M, what's up? Uh, what's up? Absolutely love your spaces. I just had a quick comment on, uh, you mentioned the Elon Musk tweet. Um, don't you think that, I, I, I know you said preventing a recession, and obviously, and duly helps him. But don't you think his tweet, like all of his, probably all of his overhead is oil. You know what I mean? He, all of his production prices go up. All the shipping prices go up. I mean, yeah, everything. So, 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 and, and let's just do this. <laughs> just like as, as, as Elon Musk famously said, you know, I don't respect the SEC. I don't like the SEC, whatever. I don't like Elon Musk. I don't trust Elon Musk. Mm. The guy belongs in jail. I don't want to waste time in this room talking about Elon Musk. I just gratuitously put right, a no. comment in there. If there's something else you want to talk about, that'd be great. But is something else maybe more worthwhile than Elon Musk M is something you want to talk about? Um, I would just say, you know, regarding, you know, can they raise rates? Can they do? Um, and personally, I just bought the TLT uh, last week, even even though I'm predicting that they're going to raise rates 0.25. Um, you know, I personally still think they can. Uh, are they afraid to crash the market? I mean, by all estimations, you know, all the insiders, all the Fed insiders have sold, you know, a couple months ago to me. You know that signals that that signals that they don't care where the market goes. In my personal yeah, opinion. yeah, no, I agree. With that. I, what they really care about is uh, they care about credit spreads. They they don't want the economy to seize up, and credit spreads really haven't meaningfully blown out yet. They're up a little bit. It's no big deal. Keep in mind, for any of you keeping a score at home and watching AYG, there's an element of duration in that. So just the fact it's gone down a few points doesn't mean spreads have widened. Spreads are up a little bit, but not very much. But what's really interesting to watch now is you're seeing emerging uh, credit problems in Europe for obvious reasons because the whole Russia situation. You've seen the prices of various European banks get thoroughly trashed. Friday, there was some movement in some of the FRA, OIS stuff, but that's all Chinese to me. But Bob Justice, who's a friend of this room, he's not here right now, who's a real great credit guy in his job. He and I made a pact a few months ago. He has to uh, uh, turn on the smoke alarm when credit starts to percolate. It's kind of starting a little bit, so we got to watch this space. And you know, obviously, listen, if Russia, the Russian banks, who the hell knows what's going to happen? You know, if they blow up, I mean, you know, it's uh, this could get very interesting. So we're just dealing with so much uncertainty right now. This is why I think being like in a quote unquote Fed watcher, like whatever you think right now, a week from now may change depending on what's happened and depending on what, ha- what happens in Eastern Europe. All right, let's move on. So, Mr. D- Dave Collum, how are you, my friend? Good to see you. Um, it's been a few days. Um, having fun up there in Ithaca? Yeah, I am. I just, I've been jumping in and out with a power cord problem, so I should probably just pass and try to get the rhythm of this ta- this room. All right, whatever. You, you, you st- you, you'll, we'll keep you on stage. When you feel like uh, speaking up, just jump in. 
All right, okay. let's, move, let, let's move on. Uh, I think it's MG's turn. MG, good to see you. What's up? Hey, George. How are you doing? Um, you know, I, there's a couple points that I just want to kind of bring up, which is, you know, and, and I apologize for the hoarseness in my voice. I'm getting over a cold. Um, but basically, you know, if, if, you know, this is something that O'Hare brought up earlier, which is, you know, how much oil increase can the economy handle? And just a kind of cursory back of the envelope calculation, which is really something I always did when I was kind of investing professionally. And certainly as a individual investor, I do this all the time. I'm looking at like, you know, oil is increased roughly about $50 year over year. If it stays there, you're looking at $50 times 21 million barrels per, per, you know, per, per day it is U.S. consumption times 365 days. You're looking at a $400 billion hit to GDP. That's, you know, almost 2%. I mean, that is, you know, at some point, that kind of level will cause some sort of recession. And then the second point is that, um, and, and, and that may be the case because, you know, uh, there's, there's nothing that anybody can do anything about it because, like you guys have said re repeatedly, that this is a supply-constrained issue with regards to energy prices, and they've made it significantly, significantly worse with, you know, kind of the, ex uh, the, the, the escalation and the sort of the conflict with uh, Russia-Ukraine. So right now, the other issue is, is that, you know, you had mentioned, someone had mentioned, you know, what would happen if we had a recession, but also inflation? And my sense is that it depends on the kind of recession we had. And I suspect that the Fed, and just looking at kind of like most political, you know, if you look at the last 200 years across different economies, but certainly across the U.S. economy, the one thing that I think scares most politicians is some sort of deflationary recession. That's almost the root of a lot of different political kind of revolutions and fomenting and all kinds of craziness. And that's essentially what scared Roosevelt in the 30s. Um, and so that's why, you know, he basically, people suspect, and I, and I kind of agree with the argument that that's why he went off the gold standard, or at least caused an, an inflationary bump to gold prices overnight. So my sense is that, you know, you know, like you said, everybody has an opinion on this and opinions are as good as assholes. But, you know, I'll just throw my two cents in there. You know, if the Fed had to choose between inflation and deflation, I think they choose inflation all day. And, 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 and they just say, you know what, let it ride. And, uh, you know, because right now with this much debt, um, that's going to be really, really, really difficult. And then the other the last thing I would say is that, um, you know, I, I think right now you're right in that the credit markets haven't sort of priced in a lot of craziness. But this last week with the kind of sanctions and the kind of restrictions that are coming on board, I think a lot of those repercussions will be will, will be hitting the tape in the next two to three weeks. And a lot of those sound like they could cause severe credit problems in Europe, especially with the amount of leverage that exists yeah. in European banks. Uh, yeah. That exists in, in a lot of that stuff. So that 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 is a serious. Uh, you, you know, MG, one hundred percent. I referenced that. You know, I think one of the comments I made Friday when we had Bobby Justice in on yesterday. Friday, you started to see shit start to happen, and you know, you look at the capital exposure of the European banks to Russian to Russia. You know, it's worth paying attention to, and you've seen some pretty horrific. Uh, stock price declines 30 40% in some of the European bank stocks. So that may be a harbinger of things to come. So I think you're very right to, very right to flag that. 
very right to fight about. And, um, you know, just, it's funny listening to you talk. I mean, you're a smart guy. You know, I've been in a lot of rooms together and listening to you talk. And I'm like, I was thinking of the old Laurel and Hardy, you know, cartoon guys. And I was like, oh, Ali, that's a very fine mess you've gotten us into. You know, it's like this is you talk. Well, you know, the Fed wouldn't. No, we'd rather have, you know, you know inflation with the recovery. Uh, I'm like, all the things you were enumerating, the possibilities, I was like, that don't sound like good. Like, none of those sound like good outcomes to me. Some are worse than others, but, you know, it, none of that's equity positive, if you ask me. I, I don't know. Would you agree with that? I, I definitely do agree with that, but I do think that um, these guys can try to print more money. I do, you know, they're not really technically printing more money, but I think that they can try to introduce more liquidity because at the end of the day, you know, everyone wants to avoid short-term pain, uh, you know, and, 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 and that's the name of the game. So oh, totally, but, but, but there's no, again, the, the J pal is a man without a plan. There's no good way out of this. And I've used the example numerous times. It's like a, a car careening down an icy covered road down a mountainside. And, you know, O'Hare's driving and I'm in the passenger seat and I'm like, oh, here, quick, we're getting over too far. We're going to hit the guardrail. Quick, turn back the other way. So he spins it. We go back the other way. We go flying across the other side. And they're like, no, O'Hare, you're going to hit the other one. Like, turn the other way. Okay. It's like we're slaloming down the mountain. There's no fucking good answer. All they're going to do is keep punting, trying to, as you say, avoid pain. But, you know, the markets are closing in on them. So there's no good answer here. There's just no good answer. And by the way, in, in any and all circumstances, that you I don't care what door you pick, how in God's name you own a Kathy Woodstock or anything of that ilk, like, it's just beyond me. So I, I just think there's going to be, you know, pain, you know, house of pain, whatever the hell. Oh, by the way, okay, that's what we should do. I, oh, here, I got to ask you a question. Do you think it'd be really annoying? I found the page on the internet where you can download Ah, you know what? I'm not, I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to just gonna do it. Oh, I, I ask, oh, here, do you think it would be really obnoxious? I know I'm obnoxious. I have I have the, the CNBC Mad Money soundboard. If we start using those sound effects, like, would that be out of control over here? You're, you're, you're just wound up, George, which is great. Uh, you know, if we could get a soundboard like that, that would be fantastic. I have it. You know what? Oh, 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 here, oh here, why don't you, you – oh, here, you drive the bus for a couple of minutes. I'm going to find the soundboard. You, you, you go ahead. You ask the questions, and, and I, I think – Actually, you yes. know what? I want to get. Uh, hold on, well, Dave Collins. George, can so I can I just can I just add one thing here? Sure. One of the things one of the things we've been talking about is not just the fact that you know these stocks are overpriced and that's bad and blah blah blah. There's also a philosophical view that there's been an incredible amount of misallocation of capital that's li- literally led our you know economy down totally the wrong path and led us to a point where we can't recover. And one of the examples, you know, one of the philosophies that's been undergirding a lot of this sort of tech rise is, you know, technology is going to solve all our problems. There's a deflationary, you know, kind of cycle coming. And, you know, all of these other things, commodities, if you're building things, that's so yesteryear and, you know, you got to look to the future. Well, one example of that was, you know, what happened to Rivian last week, which is, you know, these guys looked at their actual components that they had to sort of produce. They tried to increase prices, which was pretty substantial. And immediately within one day, they had to basically, you know, they they had their tail between their legs and they had to reverse course. So that tells you that there's limits even to sort of technology sort of solving some of these problems. Right. Well, that's well, that's that's a good point, MG. I mean, hold hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, here. Yep. MG, MG just hit a hot button for me. MG, yep. 
I could kiss you. You just you just gave me an insight. So I'm now going to go from being an asshole to a bigger asshole. So, MG, I'm playing with you. You mean to tell me that if we if we weren't keep pumping billions of dollars into pieces of shit like DoorDash and Snapchat and we need, like, another app to do this and that, like, that wasn't really adding to the economy? Like, maybe some of the, the, those hundreds of billions of dollars that are going into funding these bullshit unicorn companies – like maybe just maybe if some of that money went to, into a hole in the ground, so we'd get some more hydrocarbons that maybe we'd be in a little place. I mean, surely you're not saying that, are you? Well, I think that that's been a common refrain in these spaces for the last you know couple of months. Is that there's and people don't understand that. Like, why are you so upset against Techstance? Why are you so upset against Kathy Wood? Look, <clears throat> there's a there's a there's a there, there's a deeper problem with misallocation of resources. Like, yeah, people don't make money, and like, yeah, if you didn't invest in it, you missed out. But at the same time, it actually is a huge opportunity cost for society, and I don't think people understand that. Well, you know, MG. I mean, this is I don't know how long you've been in the uh, uh, you know investing, but this is exactly you're you're right, and this is exactly what I, happens, I'm a third year know? investor veteran, so okay, <laughs> I've been in here go. for so, a while. Yeah, so you know. This is the, exactly what happens in the late stage cycle of a bull market. I mean, George talked about late 90s when you had pros like uh, 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 Stan Druckenmiller, like, uh, uh, he, yeah, by the way, uh, George, I don't know, you didn't, you forgot uh, Michael Steinhardt. I mean, he got his ass just completely reamed uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and he actually had to close the shop down for a long time. Uh, turned it into a family office. Michael Steinhardt. Uh, Do you guys remember all the articles about how Buffett yeah. had totally lost it in 1999? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you're on the same page as me. So I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, what happens is you get this blow off like we just had. I mean, there was a lot of issues. For one, you had COVID. You had several trillion dollars of new money into the market. You had the Robin Hoods of the world. You had Twitter that just blew up. So everybody everybody was basically not going to, to work. They were at home on Twitter in these chat rooms talking about stocks and everybody became a fucking expert on equities overnight. And uh, when, and everybody's an expert when prices are going up, right? When money's flowing in and prices are going up, everybody's an expert. I remember in, I was in a room not, not long ago, actually earlier this year, late last year on somebody had a Peloton room. There was, you know, that was a big thing for a while. And Peloton was like 150 bucks a share. And, and I just piped in saying, look, I think if you own Peloton, you should sell it. If you don't own it, you might want to short it. This thing's just, it, it, it's, it's a house of cards. And of course, today, Peloton's $23. You know, so we're, there are no more Peloton rooms. There are no more Tesla rooms. Very, you know, I, I don't see any. Um, there are very few even crypto rooms or NFT rooms. I mean, you know, you're going from one, this is like a ping pong game. You're going from one uh, soup du jour to the next. And right now, it seems to be energy. You know, I, I've been in energy, you know, I've been in energy for, you know, 10 years. Ever since we started our strategy, we've had an allocation of energy. And it's been good times and it's been bad times. Right now, they're very good times. And so to George's point earlier, you know, at what point do you kind of take a little, take a few chips off the table? You know, like I said earlier, oil, if it trades between 80 to 110, that's a fantastic result for everybody, you know, um, except for if it drops from 115 to 80, uh, a lot of the really smaller levered names are going to get hammered. And so you, you got to kind of pick your spots and just kind of be careful. But I agree with you. It seems to me uh, this is exactly indicative of what's going on right now in a lot of these spaces, just in general on, on CNBC and even on some sometimes on Bloomberg. Uh, it's just it's screaming, you know, kind of late stage bull market 1999. 
Uh, I agree with George. I think Arc, a lot of the stuff that they own, I think that whole ETF is going to come un, come completely unravel at some point. Kind of like CMGI. I remember when people were you could it, I didn't own it. I had a lot of friends that were in, this, in in CMGI and they made a ton of money. The ones that actually got out, uh, a lot of them lost a ton of money. And so you know, it just it, again, you, you you if you live long enough, you see these cycles and you kind of learn how to navigate through them. So uh, let's go to more questions here. Anybody else? Go ahead. Who do we got? Uh, Robert. Uh, and then Javier, and then Soki. Go ahead, Robert. Uh, thank you. Uh, another fantastic space. So uh, thank you, guys. Um, I had a question about gold and wanted to get uh, your guys' opinion on that um, as possibly a space to hide. Um, I mean, obviously, it broke out on all the uh, war kind of uh, stories, but I'm wondering if this is like a sustained uh breakout and at the same time of course with the breakout you get all these uh, fintwit guys jumping on it so uh that's i think part of the purpose of this room to kind of filter the signal from the noise um and so i wanted to hear um what if you guys think there's um you know a more sustainable um breakout for gold here um i mean we just heard from uh, mg that the fed obviously prefers inflation over deflation so that would be positive for gold um further i think we're seeing a huge change in just the global environment um kind of I, for me it started kind of after the gfc we've seen like populism and uh, kind of the starting of like kind of the fourth turning that uh, Neil Howey talks about. And now I feel like ever since COVID started, that really is starting to kick in. We're seeing inflation. We're seeing now huge geopolitical moves. So all this instability un is, uh, I think, very positive for gold in the long run. And then um, what do you guys think of gold miners? To me, um, they seem a little bit like the oil producers, uh, maybe 20, uh, two years ago, um, they haven't done much. Uh, they have actually been down for quite a while, but um, they also have, uh, similar to a lot of the oil companies, their production costs are way below the price. Some of them have record free cash flow um, right now. So um, do you guys think, and I think they actually haven't moved that much compared to how, how much gold has moved. So do you guys think that's a an like a segment of the market to kind of hide while a lot of it is. <laughs> how's, how's some pleasure? Okay. There we go. There we go, George. Easy so, answer. Robert, Robert, uh, listen, I, there you go. That's fantastic. I don't care. So, I have a new Rob toy. I have a new toy. It's bad enough if I play lousy songs at the beginning. So, now I'm going to go nuts with this thing. All right, keep going. So uh, look, I look, Robert. That's a fantastic question, and you know, I uh, I agree with you 100. percent Now, again, everything in moderation. So uh, our strategy has been in, in gold and and uh, the mining stocks for quite a while. Back in 2016, I'll just give you an example. Back in and, and let me back up. I think the today's setup, to your point, today's setup for gold, silver, just the whole precious metals complex, uh, and mining stocks in particular. Today's setup has never been better, in my opinion. Now, everybody's got opinions, but in my opinion, it's never been a better setup. A lot of these miners have gotten leaner, meaner, just like a lot of the energy names. They've been through the hard times. They've learned. They've gotten some religion. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of these names, the ones that we own anyway, uh, the production costs are much lower. Uh, in a lot of cases, half of what the price of gold is. So there's a lot of margin for them. And the price of gold is only going to continue to go higher, in my opinion, 
uh, over the next few years. Uh, you know, the macro setup is fantastic. So having said that, I would just tell you that, you know, uh, if you don't, if the, the people in this space, if you don't own uh, an allocation to precious metals, uh, that's something that uh, that's an area that you should uh, take a look at and investigate because many of those companies are not the companies of yesteryear. And let me just finish by saying in 2016, as an example, uh, many of these companies, we were in uh, we were in energy and when we were in precious metals going into 2016, many of the names we were buying were in the single digits, low single digits. These were low. 500 million market cap to 2 billion market cap companies. By the end of 2016, many of those names had quintupled to 10x. And I'm not kidding. I mean, just go back and look at the charts. That, having, you know, when you look at 2016 and what happened with precious metals and gold and mining stocks, and you go and you fast forward to today, night and day, the setup today is even better. So to your to answer your question, I think it's an absolutely fantastic space to be in. Although I would not be putting all my money all in that space. All right. Aboard. Thank you, George. <laughs> All right. So, Javier, uh, what's up, fellas? What's up, George? How are you, buddy? Good. I got my new toy here. What's up, man? I love it. I love it. I'm going to be really brief just because um, I, I've talked a lot this week. Um, to be clear for everyone on here, I am not an investor. I could care very little what any stock does or any particular segment, but I'm a global ags and oil trader. And I've listened for the last two weeks, everyone's fascination with a market that I've spent 26 years in, whether the price was 20 bucks or 100 bucks. And I want to um, offer one perspective, which is what I've dealt with for the last month. And you're, the one thing that, that seems to be a risk factor that most, not all, there's a few oil economists and bankers that understand this, but very few do. Um, and we're actually watching it take place today. You're watching the largest ever example of cancel culture take place. You're watching um, uh, sovereign reserves um, be considered non-currencies. You are watching the picking and choosing of whether or not Russian barrels of products. And, and most people look at crude oil as, as a generic. It's a beautiful forward-facing um, commodity, but really defines products. Um, you know, it's a, it's a proxy for lots of different products. And our risk, my company's risk, and everyone's risk that's going on right now, and, and I can highlight this with the trade that ever, the, the most opaque trade that everyone witnessed, which was uh, Traffy picking up a cargo last week, um, realizing that as a private company who has previously been in trouble for having uh, 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 either sanctioned or embargo products, um, decided to remove their risk and sell their their this cargo onto the uh, on on to, on the water once they owned it, and the purchaser of that ended up being Shell, right? So you you've had this, you're watching live a transformation of canceling one of the larger producers' oil, also their financial services, and in our market, in in the crude oil market, the risk is that this is going to push an east-west rebalancing of global resource trade. And this is taking place in ags. This is taking place in minerals. This is taking place in the light-in barrels. This is, you know, all of the, uh, the aims, which are going to be towards your plastics and energy inputs. And so we're trying to sort out what the real risk is here. And we have a hundred different scenarios. I have a scenario if Putin walks home tomorrow. I have a scenario if this thing lights up. I have a scenario for the EU, NATO. Very few of these scenarios that take place right now as long as we are continuing along the road that we're going and anything that goes towards touching their oil as a proxy for a sanction or 
um, trying to force him into acquiescence, pushes him east. Uh, Unipec and Sinopec are still lifting cargoes. India bought 8 million, car- 8 million barrels last weekend. And, and you're, you're, whereas the global commodity market was a very open playing field, minus Iran and some Venezuela barrels, you were able to go to Russia. You were a- it's fungible assets, right? It's a fungible product based upon price at the time. If we push this into an east-west bifurcated market where you're canceling barrels availability or you're canceling where, you know, where their destinations can go, it dramatically, dramatically changes what the oil market looks like. So when people are discussing the risks, I don't most people that I've heard talk about it, they're only concerned about what the price is. They're, they're, they're backseat driving, trying to figure out whether crude oil at 115 or 185 is reasonable. I heard somebody say yesterday getting it to 185 is almost impossible. That's just not true. Um, these are the same people that were saying oil couldn't go below $25. Yeah, yeah. Javi, 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 you're my new best friend. So let me ask you. So I follow oil pretty carefully, but I, I don't know as much as you do. And I'm a huge uh, fan of Mike Roth and his excellent oil analyst. And he just had his conference call this past week. He touched on the very point that you're making right now. I'd like you to drill down a little bit more so you can explain it to the audience, namely that the oil, not oil, not oil, not oil is not all oil is the same. In that, if rush, if Russian oil, oil that previously was going to go, you know, to the west, go to Europe, go to the U.S., wherever it was going, if all of a sudden that goes eastward, that sets in motion a whole bunch of uh, things which the average uh, idiot like me doesn't fully appreciate. I think you're starting to get to it. And he was explaining how the last time this happened, when you start redirecting barrels. Even if this whole number of barrels is the same, it causes all types of screw-ups. And he's expecting much higher oil prices. He's not hes not one of these guys. I mean, you know, he just looks at inventories, and inventories inversely correlate with price, and we're still going to draw. This was this was a forecast even before any of this Ukrainian stuff stopped, started. But could you just please speak to what happens to the global oil 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 flows? Like, why, like why is it you just can't? send you know a russian barrel that was previously going to the west let's say if it goes somewhere if it goes somewhere else like explain how that put that screws everything up and explain why it means much higher prices if you could please i think we would all benefit from your wisdom i don't know how wise i am but um but i like to try to take complicated commodity issues and dumb them down so every refinery on the planet is tuned in a manner which allows it to maximize whatever technology they're using. So some produce, some are run like a heavy crude oil very well for heavy products. Some of them run lighter crude. Some of them can't run them. Some of them are set up not to run different grades. I don't want to get into all the grades in all the countries, right? Because it's so intricate and it's sulfur content, it's viscosity. There's all sorts of moving parts with crude. And currently today, even in a, in, in a, uh, a demand-driven market, right? The globe's pretty good at figuring this out. Um, you know, there's a reason that Traffy and Glencore and Gunvor and Mercuria exist, right? Because they're very good, very, very good at understanding where the, the, the imbalances are. When you remove them from being able to, to partake in this particular timing, which would be allowing a state-backed firm like Shell to move Russian crude and removing the guys who are at the literal experts at it. Um, you create, you create an imbalance and you remove liquidity from the market. 
if you have to start transferring and moving east and west barrels that don't quite comply, you're going to have lower run rates for products. We are already seeing this in diesel. Diesel stocks are very low. You remove this from the equation. Somebody asked me yesterday, they said, well, what happens to something like diesel? Okay, well, I posted yesterday. I'm in, I'm in Kentucky. I paid $4.79 for diesel. Somebody said, what are you going to pay if this thing blows up? $10 a gallon. Can you walk me through the math? Absolutely, I can walk you through the math. But more importantly to me as an individual, which is where people really start to understand these things, you care about how diesel is made and, and where it comes from when it affects your pocketbook, when it affects your family. Most people don't care when gasoline is between $1.80 and $4 or California at $5. You guys are still happy as clams. If we rebalance whether or not a large percentage of the um, uh, uh, supply balance sheet, where it can go and where it cannot go, to rejigger the system to absorb this is years out, years. It will take multiple years. You, earlier, somebody was talking about the Saudis decreasing production. During COVID, the Saudis um, did hard shutdowns, cold shutdowns on a lot of wells. Those wells aren't coming back. Some of them won't come back. They're going to have to either drill new or completely rehab. They're 24 to 36 months out. If they started today, they're 24 to 36 months to get above 10, you know, for OPEC to be, you know, above 10.1 million barrels a day. This isn't some game that they're necessarily playing. This is this is what long term rapid effects in, in, a, in, a, in a resource market looks like. Now, I'm going to take it even further, right, because oil is the most sexy, visible product out there because it has the most liquidity, you know, the most daily futures trading volume. Um, but the biggest concern that we have while oil is on the forefront is, is ags, right? I cannot describe to you what the balance sheet looks like going forward by rejiggering Ukraine and Russia's grain exports. It's, it's unfathomable. Like there's, there's a few people out here that are deep in the market, but they're not talking. And the reason they're not talking is they're obligated. Most of like Cargill, Bungie, ADM and Dreyfus and, and Olam and these guys, they are so net short long-term contracts to pay, you know, for, for food inputs on, on in every continent on the planet. They, they're obligated. Some of these are 10 year and 20 year deals that they have in place with the Kellogg's of the world, right? They're obligated to supply them wheat and corn. There ain't enough. And, and somebody asked, you know, I don't like to say, Hey, I think wheat could go to this. I'm a chartist when it, when it matters, but I'm not a chartist in events like this. Once you're above the cloud and Ichimoku clouds by this much, there's nothing to look at, right? You're in, you're in open water. It is, it is, it is free flowing capital and free and it's the path of least resistance, but I'll give you a scenario. Oil at $150 is going to have a less net effect on the global economy than wheat on the Chicago Board of Trade trading at $40 a bushel. That, that price right there is going to have a far more significant impact yeah. on, on geopolitics, yeah. social yeah. unrest, and demand. Yeah, Javier, let me ask you something. And I'm not asking for a single point price prediction. I'm more instead trying to calibrate your bullishness. So... And again, I'm not going to, this is not a gotcha game. It's just one thing if you know, I don't know you, but so like you sound like you probably know what an over under is or one, let's just say one touch option. Okay. If I said to you, you know, one touch option on crude, you know, this year, 150, would you buy it? 
Under today's exact circumstances with nothing changing other than this dragging itself out and no other actions taking on commodities, I would buy it right now. Would you what about let me let me give you let me let me give you a heads up. Let me give you a heads up. Go on. I I trade so I, I work for a very, very large global commodity firm. It's actually a large financial services firm. I have to remain anonymous. Yeah, of course. My corporate positions, my corporate positions are all about risk management. Privately, as an individual, I give no trading advice. I'm not an investor. Oh, no, no, it's all I just want smart. to tell you. Let Go me on. tell you how bullish I am. Since December the 23rd at 7 o'clock at night when oil went down 6% in the overnights and touched $66, I only have two positions on. I have been as max long as I can in my personal trading accounts, crude structures, and I have been max short, leveraged with options and flat price, the NASDAQ. The only two positions I have on, I have nothing else. That's it. Um, go on with your over and unders and we'll just, I'll just yeah, keep telling no, you about right. so, it. So, so, so like, again, just try to calibrate your bullish. I mean, you think oil can see 200 this year? If, if NATO and the EU get involved in this, oil goes through 200. All right. Now let's go to grain. Let's just take wheat. It's the most well-known, visible commodity. So where are we? Twelve bucks or something like that. I mean, where do you think where do you think we could go to this year? Well, considering it's been limited up for the last four days, and they expanded limits for tomorrow to a buck thirty, it's all. I think I think that the near-term price inflections are going to depend on how we open tonight and go through the overnights. If it's limit up again, I think you might start seeing some serious margin raises. I think if you remove if you remove Russia and you remove Ukraine and just I, hang on one second I need to scroll down here real quick see who's on here I'm, 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 I'm going to reserve my comment I'm going to reserve a comment I had a comment yeah, about oh, the oh, oh, while you're looking I'll, I'll, For, I'll, I think forty to fifty dollar wheat if you remove it from the balance sheet and the U S has a wet or cold planting um, if we have any disruptions any disruption in in grain. Uh, production going into the spring and on March 31st when the USDA puts out planning intentions uh, for uh, summer products I think it's going to give the globe a very interesting outlook at what fertilizer does to farmers um, I think we're going to be lower on acres than people think and I think that the shift into beans and corn is going to radically change people's minds I think beans are going to be equal to corn all of those are going to be price drivers to acres available right so um, possibly that ends a little bit of a bearishness to wheat I don't think so uh, because they don't really cross over. But I think if this thing escalates, again, if the EU and NATO get involved, if Russia if Russia becomes 100% persona non grata on, on the global platform, they're going to be un, it's going to be unavoidable to um, avoid agriculture and energy, no matter what anyone says, because he will shut it off. He will 100, he will 100% shut off, he will shut off all exports, he will shut off all exports, and he will... And he will use this as his as his final crutch. He'll shut off gas, and he's already shut off all fertilizer exports. But he will shut off all grains. That's the nuclear bomb that he has that nobody wants to talk about because they just don't think he'll do it. Um, he will he will have a few strategic trading partners. He will in, he will keep China. He will he is working out deals with India and everyone. India is gonna India is gonna go east. Is is our belief because it becomes a path of least resistance for them. Shared borders, common interest, Belt and Road. India is is not going to just say go along, get along with the West. At that point, you're looking at $15 corn, $40 wheat. You're looking at $25 soybeans. If we have a if we do not have a perfect growing season in the United States this summer. Wow. 
All right, everyone can take a break. Go take a cold shower. Javier, if you can hang around, I'd love to hear more from you. I happen to, unfortunately, agree with almost everything you said, but whatever. Um, cool. All right, so, oh, here, I kind of lost track here. Who hasn't spoken yet? Who's up next? I see Silky. Silky, Silky was Silky next, has, yep. Yeah, Silky has his hand. What's up, Silky? Well, my question to you is kind of a perfect segue into what Javi was talking about, how, you know, inflation's already at 8%. And commodities are clearly going parabolic. And although I was only born a month ahead of time, I keep thinking about October 1979. And I know we don't, we didn't have the debt back then that we do now. But, you know, for those of you that remember when Paul Volcker raised 20%, uh, would you foresee something like that happening? unfortunately no these guys don't have the political will to do it um i tweeted out uh repeatedly you know probably should tweet it again uh stephen roach who's a friend of this room uh, who i know he was formerly vice chairman of Morgan Stanley america uh, asia who worked for arthur the arthur burns fed back in the 60s the beginning of his career uh he's written how they, they just don't have any political fortitude to do what needs to be done. Uh, rates, this is, you know, pre the, the, the Russian thing, of course, but they're very politicized. The only reason that the Fed got the bit in between their teeth and their mouth a couple months ago and did it in a bad face and possibly raising rates is because it became a political issue. We're in this K-shaped recovery where you know, 40% of the population lose paycheck to paycheck and those are the people getting killed by inflation and you you know biden's polls are are disastrous and so that's why they did it a bad face but no unfortunately i mentioned stephen roach is also henry kaufman is still around dr doom he's 95 he wrote a piece a month ago so i actually urge all of you in the room because i i kind of lazy this is twitter thing was a couple, couple months ago I, it's a very good question you ask silky i urge you to go google Stephen Roach, R-O-A-C-H. Uh, he, he's at Yale now. He wrote an article in the middle of uh, January about this. And then Google Henry Kaufman. Uh, and, and the gist, my takeaway from that is, based on what they had to say, the Fed is so far behind the curve they can't see the curve. So, no, I don't think they have the intestinal fortitude. They want the economy to run hot. They'll give them a choice between recession and more inflation. They'll take the more inflation, but then the binding constraint became that inflation got so far out of control. Go back to the analogy that you know I was giving twenty minutes ago, where they're you know Jay Powell's a man without a plan, uh, and they just there is no plan. They're just careening from one side of the road to the other. This is going to end badly. So I thank you for the question, uh, Robert T. I think you've been up for a while, Robert. What's up, Robert? Are you there? I don't know if he's there. Hey. So yeah, hi, Robert. hi, Robert. What's up? I already spoke about the uh, gold uh, miners. Okay. Right, okay, perfect. Okay, let's move on. Prodigal, good to see you, my friend. How you doing? What's up? Hey, George. I was going to listen for a while. I heard uh, Javier speak, and you know, I tend to agree with what everything he says, so I'm just going to listen for a while. Before yeah, I... let me just ask you one question, because I know you're less financial guy and more sort of geopolitical stuff. And uh, Do you have any updated personal views about the whole uh, Ukrainian tragedy and what Putin's up to? Do you have... Again, I don't I don't want to go too far in that rabbit hole, but 
you seem to be a very informed investor in that regard. I was just curious what your what your latest take is on things. Yeah, I mean, I think he's crossed the Rubicon. I think there's nowhere to go. I think the civilian casualties are going to get worse. I think it's going to be disruptions uh, in the uh, wheat market and other commodities. I mean, there's people keep on thinking as if you know they're going to decapitate uh, uh, Putin, right? He, he's from the intelligence services. He's watching these oligarchs already. You know, if you follow him the last ten years. You know, he's he's basically assassinated and pushed aside oligarchs. So, I mean, my my belief is, you know, if there is going to be some type of move to, to take him out, it would have to come from from the military. But I'm not seeing that right now, even with the surprises. I think that this ends up one one of two ways. Either he takes over the country or the losses mount too much and he, he sues for peace with the territory he gains and, and goes from there. But either way, it's not going to change the disruptions. Right. A lot of us felt this way about commodities before Ukraine popped off. And they're really, I mean, if you see right now, uh, uh, PwC just ended all operations in Russia. I mean, what there there's whispers that they're now in the next week going to basically close off their uh, Internet like China does. I mean, I, it seems that these shifts are, are, are going to be permanent. You know, even if this ends with a ceasefire, sanctions are going to remain. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, you know, where uh, what's driving these what's going to drive down the cost of inflation, food or energy. There's nothing right. Biden still isn't leasing uh, any any lands for oil and gas exploration. Uh, Germany's still closing down its nuclear plant. Other than France, I haven't seen one country realign their energy policy. Not one. Macron at least had some sense to say, you know, at least publicly, we're going to build 14 more plants. But nobody else is doing that. I mean, it seems that the Iran deal is stalled. So now he's running to Venezuela. I mean, there, it's this, you know, you listen to some of these spaces, you, you look at some of these people and they make it seem like, you know, regardless of military successes, they have no idea the geopolitical ramifications of what's occurring and how we look on yeah, the yeah, space. Yeah, probably, I couldn't agree with you more, which is why, you know, people running out recommending fill your boots with Russian stocks a couple of weeks ago. It's complete jackasses. I mean, it's just insane. So hang around, Prodigal. I want to hear from you some more. Let's move on. Uh, let's see. We got Chris and then DN. Chris, what's up? Uh, hi. Uh, this uh, Today's topic is very interesting and uh, is very useful, especially for coming week. So I think uh, uh, today the gold Energy ARKK was covered, and I think after the European war began, there's one sector that's impacted a lot. There's a finance. So so far, JP Morgan Chase is down twenty percent. Mastercard is down seventeen percent after the war began uh, on February twenty fourth. So at the beginning of the year, I think most analysts believe the finance sector is great this year. It's very because the interest rate will be up. That will be good for for retail banks such as JP Morgan Chase and Bank of America. But right now, because of the uncertainty of the war, uh, what do you think the finance market is such as uh, XRF I think yeah, today we yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. XRE. What about the XRE? Yeah, no, Chris, Chris, you asked a really, really good question. Really yeah, I think question. we should cover this, yeah, this so, sector so, 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 now. So we had a room yesterday, and, 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 and we had, uh, if you want to listen to the replay, um, Bob Justice, who's a good personal friend, is a credit guy. 
he was weighing in on this in particular. Um, you know, usually when you get systemic problems, it's the financial sector mm. starts to take it in the chin because that's the sort of circulatory system for the whole, you know, financial system. And the fact that banks are breaking down so badly, and as you right. rightly point out, it's like J.P. Morgan. You know, we're not talking about you know O'Hare statements and loan. This is like you know, this is like the real deal. So you're seeing a lot of large cap financials mainstream stocks breaking down and this is a very ominous signal so this has gone beyond a few months ago when we started yelling about kathy woodstocks and high pe's and all the garbage and yada 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 listen the average stock is down i don't know 30 percent or whatever the number is in the last year we are in a bear market we are in a bear market you don't have to wait for some knucklehead on cnbc to tell you oh we're not in bear market territory because the soundbite index isn't down, whatever, okay? Now they're getting to the main event. They're getting to the large caps. They're getting to the financials. This is getting serious. So I think you ask a very good question, and the transmission mechanism for this is pretty obvious. <clears throat> you have European banks you know, right. they're getting absolutely destroyed. Um, you know, the the, the if, if, if who knows what's going to happen with the SWIFT system, all this kind of stuff. Obviously, the Fed's going to do what they do best, which is give give money away to everybody to stop the thing from imploding. But the whole Russia thing, this is a this is a huge transmission mechanism problem. So, you know, I I, I think you ask a really good question, really good question. And actually, you know what? I hope he's not listening in, but he probably is because the Russians aren't stupid; they listen to everything. If I were Putin, and you really and, and maybe I'm going to get I can push Dave Collins' buttons uh, to get him to talk. If I were Putin. I would, um, the way you really hurt the West, and I, I tweeted this out, and, 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 and I think I should retweet it. There was a great article the other day by this Irish economist, David McWilliams, talking about how the real vulnerability of the West, and Putin knows it, it's the financial system. So if you can engender a stock market crash, you engender a recession because you keep pushing oil prices up. Let's say this conflict goes on for a while, which I think it will. I hope it doesn't. Let's say it does. But oil prices, as much as O'Hare and I, I think it's all overbought and should go down. It doesn't. And oil prices keep going up. The economy, if you look at what's happening in the retail stocks, the housing stocks, now the financial stocks, you know, as Stan Druckenmiller, I think, once said, the best economic forecaster out there for the economy are the internals of the stock market. You watch the groups that are working and the ones that are not working. You know, O'Hare, O'Hare knows I'm right. And they're telling you there's a problem. And now you've got the financials breaking down, and this is serious. So I think I think you put your finger on it, and, you know, we started to see the end of last week, credit spread started to move out for the first time in a meaningful way. No, not terrible yet, but just watch. And I think this could get really, really bad. So I think, you know, you put your finger on it. That was an excellent question. Glad you brought that up. Uh, and, 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 you know, this could be, this could, this could be a real problem. So, so again, the stock market itself, again, offers return free risk. It's easy to see what could go wrong and cause the market to really go down a lot. Hard to see how it's going to go up much from here, if at all. I frankly don't think it will. Having said that, another friend of this room, John Roke, the best chartist in the street, go look at my Twitter feed, where he is known as the chart life, DA. And then chart life, he points out that even in the horrendous tech bear market of 2000 to 2022, 
the market tech went down 80 percent during that period of time the s p went down 45 even energy went down 33 the 649 trading days the market actually went up 306 days or 46 percent of the time and there were 10 bull market there were 10 rallies 10 counter trend rallies of more than 15 percent 15 counter trend rallies of more than 10 percent so nothing goes in a straight line but what i would say what so you know, in a bear market, it's really hard. We can talk about that more later if you want to. What I would say is, there's like, in my humble view, the risk-reward ratio on this thing, it's, it's like all risk and no return. So, but Chris, you, you really, I'm glad, thank you very much for asking that question. I thought it was right. The financial sector has now become ground zero for a lot of the problems that are occurring. So, uh, th- thank you for that. Um, thank you. Let's, yeah, let's move on. Let's go to DN. And then uh, Shabam, DN, what's up? Hey, how's it going? I uh, just want to say, first and foremost, I completely agree with uh, what Javier said. You guys have actually been influencing a lot of my trading recently. Uh, I've been able to make a decent profit on some of the potash companies and fertilizer companies because of that complete fall off and the uh, product, you know, export bans from Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and China. And I agree completely what you're saying about the uh, food supply, especially in terms of wheat. Besides futures contracts, um, what other companies do you think would see direct benefit from these prices going up? Oh, here, why don't you take a shot at that? Yeah. Yeah. So related, you know, publicly traded companies that you can invest in as an you know, individual retail investor would be uh, Mosaic uh, is one that's had a big move, but. You know, so I wouldn't be jumping into any of these names right away. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy them, buy a third of you know a third of a position. So, let's say you wanted to put a few thousand bucks into it, just take take it and divide that into thirds, for example. So I wouldn't just blow it all into one at one time. But Mosaic, uh, Nutrien, which used to be Agrium and Potash, they they merged. So MOS for Mosaic, uh, NTR for uh, Nutrien. Uh, there's another one that's smaller, Compass Minerals. Uh, they do road salts and other things, uh, also fertilizers. Uh, CMP, that's one. So, you know, there's plenty of, you know, opportunities out there. I mean, this is great that we're talking about this because it – there you go. Thanks, George. <laughs> so, you know, that's that, that's an area that's, uh, I think, going to uh, continue to move higher over the next few years, especially with what Javier was saying, which is we've done a lot of that same work. and. You know, a lot of those exports aren't going to be coming out of there, and you're going to need fertilizer. I mean, the, the reality is uh, the population of the world is growing, and it's harder and harder to grow crops in the same over and over and over. I mean, we see this in California, in the Central Valley, California. A lot of farmers are having to use a lot of these chemical uh, subsidies uh, into their soils because the soils just get depleted over time. So, you know, um, you know, I, I just think that there's a lot of opportunity there. But like I said, if you're going to invest in some of these names, uh, I wouldn't just jump right in. I would scale in over time because they can come down. I mean, like everything else. I mean, they, they make these big exogenous moves and they can come down. So it's a good place to look. I would just uh, scale in over time. So Sorry. We got, yeah. Actually, let's get Dave calling in here. I'm curious to what his thoughts are and what's going on right now. Dave, uh, you want to you wanna step up here? Yeah, I can. I'm in a car, so it could get kind of screwy. Um uh, I was stunned by the wheat prices that were projected. I kept thinking, what are the units on those prices? Uh, 
I'd like to draw attention to a Stephen Roach article that didn't get mentioned, the one back about a year ago where he compared Arthur Burns to, to uh, Powell, in which he talked about how Arthur Burns thought everything was transitory until it was too late, too. So, so I thought that was a great article. Um, yeah, I don't have much else to say because the fact that I, I think I'm still a secular, massive, multi-year bearer, so... I don't know how I re-enter this market unless there's that deep sell-off, which for me is a 50 percenter. Besides yeah. energy, besides energy, besides gold, besides gold miners, I, I own some Rio Tinto uh, materials. You know the usual inflation hedgy things that are pretty deep value. Actually, they're not. They could go and, lower, of course. Kind of like as Dennis Gartman used to say years ago: "Own things that hurt when they hit your foot." Yeah, the other one is, I think I said last time I was on, I said, you know, that Michael Perry said, own things that, that if if they drop like a stone, that you just hang on to them. And that does not include Captain with Dark Fun. That does not include Netflix. That does not include most of the stocks that are everyone's popular stock. That includes stocks with good balance sheets to pay dividends. And you say, look, worst case scenario, it's a, it's a bond. And, uh, and those are the kind of things I'm looking for, deep value. I must confess, I saw a tweet by you, George, that you, uh, you jumped on Cuppy. I, I, I must confess that I bought a couple of small slugs of RSX. <laughs> and, uh, and and that could be money down the drain, but it, it represents something like 0.03% uh, of my total assets. Yeah, so yeah, 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 Dave, let me be clear about that. I don't have a problem with the, the trade per se. What I have a problem with is when someone – you're not out there pumping and pumping and sending out stuff to hundreds of thousands of people on millions of people. That's the problem. Well, so, it, you, can, it, 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 you can be a guy who sucks a lot of people in. Unfortunately, uh, just because of pure follower count, I'm starting to become one of those guys. If they knew how little I understood, uh, they'd unfollow me and block me. So that's a separate issue. Um, I'm in a rainstorm right now. Um, I don't know. It's all fascinating. I, I like the like everything everyone's saying. So I'll, I'll let you experts keep talking. Uh, all right, D Dave, anytime you're always welcome here. The connection's kind of crappy, but we always love to hear from you. So please, please become a friend of this room. We love hearing I, from you. I man. try to catch it when I see it. All right, that's awesome. Thanks, Dave. All right, let's move on. Shabam, what's up, man? Shabam, and we're going to do Shabam, and then DN's going to weigh in. Shabam, what's up? Hey, George, great to see you again. Um, hopefully the audio is good here. I'm in a low connection spot, but... Um, I just want to make a couple comments on the on the oil market, and and there's a talk on on demand destruction. So the first data point to look at is the refinery margins, and what's going on there. We are at almost decade highs there, so that tells me that demand is still going strong. Like the the refiners can buy oil at these prices and still make a bunch of money on their refining margin, which tells you that the products are selling for really good pricing. And the second point I want to make is that Saudi Arabia just released their OSPs which kind of sets the pricing for about 20 million barrels a day of export out of the Middle East. And they're the highest they've been this um, uh, since since 2000 and, and probably all-time highs because I don't have a graph that goes further back. So that, that to me tells me Saudi Arabia feels that they can sell their 7, 8, 10 million barrels a day for 5 bucks over 
the dated Brent price, and and that's what they're selling it for. So so they figure that this supply demand issue that's going to happen with the rush off the market is way bigger, and it's going to just be bigger and bigger. So I mean, from that standpoint, oil could be overbought and just continue going up because there literally is no oil to purchase, and the demand is still going through the roof. So um, just want to throw that out there. Thank you. Yeah, no, Shabam, you're completely right. I mean, whenever you have a situation where demand meets an inelastic supply curve think bitcoin um you know bitcoin went from 11,000 to 66,000 in less than a year so anyone who would have said it's going to 66,000 within a year like you know would have been the men in the white coats would have come and taken them away with apologies to my maxi friends so when people throw out these numbers you know 150 bucks 200 bucks 250 bucks it's entirely believable. Just like Javier was talking before about where we could go. Listen, when you're hungry, <laughs> how much are you willing to pay? You're freezing your ass off in Europe, how much are you willing to pay? So, no, it's, it's entirely possible. Entirely possible. So, thank you for that, Shabam. All right, let's Yeah, I think we got DN next. I think right, we got DN, DN next, George. DN, what's up? Hey, just wanted to do a follow-up. Completely agree with uh, the points made previously. The U.S. kind of, uh, part of my French here, but completely screwed itself with all these financial sanctions. Same with the companies, because now it's just incentivized the East, like the BRI countries, but also the OPEC countries and like the oil producing ones. Call it Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, everything around there. They're all going to start going into the Chinese ecosystem. So I know a lot of, I guess, domestic production could be screwed up, you know, North America wise, but... Do you think the Europeans are going to bend the knee to the Russians or they're going to start trying to import oil and natural gas from North America? You know, I, I, I think maybe we should drag Javier back into this or, or Shabam. Shabam, you want to speak that? Because I know like not because Dia, not all barrels are created equal. And it's not so simple. So Javier was explaining earlier how, you know, refineries, different refineries down around the world are tweaked to different grades of crude. You just can't like say, okay, well, with a crayon, say, let's redirect this here and that there. It's not so simple. And you know, you look at the U.S. You know, look at the difference in grades between what we, the heavy oil export, import, whatever. It's not so simple. So I don't know, Shabam, you're the. I'm. You. I kind of think of you. You're the sort of resident oil nerd in the room. I say that affectionately. Do you want to have a stand with that question, Shabam? Yeah, sure. You betcha. I don't know if I understood it properly, but uh, the U.S. is in big trouble because they need heavy oil for a lot of their refineries. Mexico, uh, Mexican production is declining and their internal consumption keeps going up. So basically they have nothing left to give. Um, and then and then Venezuela is the other one that's really gone downhill over the years. And Canada can only pump so much. You know, there's there's only so many pipelines going going down south. So they've, they've basically screwed themselves over into this corner here. And then, you know, Russian oil uh, was, was coming into the, the US just a bit and the refined products as well. But uh, really, the U.S. has really no option right now. They have to go to Venezuela or, or maybe Iran. I'm not sure what kind of grade exactly Iran sells. Iraqi heavy oil is the other option. So there's not much left there. So, uh, yeah, the, the shale oil is not going to cut it. You could increase shale production by 3 million barrels a day. Well, you've got to export that all, all out and then import 3 million of heavy oil in. So, really, your shale is not going to do anything. It's it's uh, it's not the Band-Aid that, 
uh, like it's not even a band-aid solution at this point. So I think people really need to to take these things into account before you know spouting off nonsense on TV and on and on Twitter about shale this, shale that. Uh, just my opinion, anyways. Can I, can I jump on the question? Yeah, go ahead, Javi. Go for it. I think the question was more more about whether or not Europe could bend the knee, or if they would take a hard line on the energy and turn and rely more on gas and products from the U.S. It's not physically hey, hey, impossible. Hey, Javi, I don't know what's happening in your reception when you're a little, you're a little squishy on us, but um, if you can try How's that. that? I just, I, I just oh, moved. Oh, yeah, better? You're, you're, you're much better now. Go ahead. Okay, so if the Germans and in Europe as a whole decided to say no to Russia for everything, or if Russia turned everything off, it is not physically possible to move enough LNG into Europe to cover the backfill for two reasons. One, there isn't enough moving to do that. So there's not enough supply to, to make up for uh, the MMBTUs that are moving from Russia. Two, um, the LNG carriers. When you finance one of these, they're on very long-term contracts, right? I mean, the daily, like most things you think about daily utilization rates, these LNG cargos, they're like minute utilization rates. Like that we know down to the minute, these things are not made to stop. They are made to run fully. And you have a, you have a, uh, what do you call it? You have a transfer problem. There's not enough, there's not enough terminals in Europe to accept cargos if there were enough cargos to go. Europe's screwed. There's no way around this, but this is the most leverage that a, I would say a, um, if you, this gives Putin similar leverage over Europe as OPEC previously had had over the world. It's, it's an incredible amount of leverage. Europe, if they want to turn their lights off, if they want to not heat their homes, Germany can go ahead and press this as hard as they want. But it's not physically possible to backfill. I think that was the question. It's not possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah Javi, you hit the nail on the head. And the other thing, too, and I don't know if Prodigal wants to weigh in on this, but in a lot of these rooms in, in recent uh, weeks, I've been surprised, I apologize for my ignorance, to really learn how much how different the European view is on these things uh, in other words the europeans aren't as much in our camp as maybe we thought they were given their view that we're the bad guys for you know iraq or weapons of mass destruction this that and everything else and then you look at the historical ties between germany and russia going way back uh you then look at uh what's his name uh the chancellor the one before merkel you know as soon as he's you know i asked ask, like how in god's name could the Germans wake up and find themselves in this place where they're getting 50% of their natural gas from Russia? But it happened. And so their view of Russia isn't exactly consistent with our view of Russia. And so to the question of bending the knee, like all things being equal, which they never are, that just makes me think that, yeah, they might. I, I don't know, Javi, you got any pushback on that? So 15 years ago, um, Russia was in a very different place. Their economy had just collapsed. They were taking, you know, they, they were taking on uh, global financial help and they had one commodity that, that, that Europe needed. And there's a video and I've tried to find it. I can't find it. If anybody can find it, I'd like them to repost it. Uh, Putin was at an energy conference in Europe with all of the heads of a bunch of different energy companies and uh, energy ministers. And he's sitting on stage and he jokingly looks out at the audience and it's an auditorium. And uh, he said, you guys are great. You guys are, you guys are, you know, basically doing business with the big bad wolf and you're going to trust the communists with, with sending you gas. What happens when I decide to turn it off? 
He says this publicly and everyone in the audience laughs because at that moment, Europe was his bailout. Europe was his leverage point. He, Europe felt like they had a position on him in which he couldn't screw them because he needed these infrastructure deals. He, they, and then the, the hubris of the West, and this has been in dealings with every single resource producing country we've done deals with, has been this notion that if they're brought into the global fold, if their economies are uplifted with our dollars, that their perspective of the world, their worldview would be more in line with ours. We are finding out. Well, here's, here's an interesting crux for you. And as Shabab just pointed out, we're very much in a similar circumstance now with globally as Europe is with Russia. We're in that same type of circumstance with China as far as uh, products and imports go, right? We've outsourced enough of our, of our business under the same guise that if we uplift China, China becomes a global trading partner that, that looks at globalization in, in the lens that they're a partner. Um, this, is a, this should be a wake-up call for people far beyond oil, far beyond ags. It should look at how we've aligned all of our resources. So, Javier, you're totally right. Dave Collin, are you still listening? Dave Collin? Because I want to push Dave's buttons because he's got a good perspective on this. So I'm going to really stir up a hornet's nest now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, people can say, why should you stop now, George? That's what we come here. You know, we came for the stock ideas. We, we, we yeah. stayed for the controversy. What, okay. why don't we give, uh, George, why don't we get the J5 and Roxy in here and then see if we can now get Dave back in here in a second. All right. No, 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 here, no, oh, Dave, no, I want to say that. No, here, I want to go down this rabbit hole. So Dave, did you hear Javier talking about how, you know, Europe's, Europe is, you know, you know, this misguided view that. You know, if, 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 if other countries, you know, they have our values and why can't we all be friends and get along? When he was talking, I don't know if you heard his rant, but it reminded me of Obama. Um, and now here, here, here comes the hornet's nest. You know, his whole misguided, misguided view from the Harvard Law School faculty lounge that, you know, the Mideastern countries are just like us. And really, if we just had jobs and health care for, for all of them. They, they would cooperate with us. and I mean, it could have yeah. been a more wrong, misguided uh, uh, approach. So that's, what I call the, that's what I call the Wizard of Oz model. The Wizard yeah. of Oz model is, is you uh, you kill the Wicked Witch. Dave, we lost you. Everyone drops your weapons. And uh, and uh, I'm getting fucked here by, uh, by I'm in the checkout line. Um, Follow the instructions on the card. Um, I'll tell you what, Skip me for you want to come me, back in five minutes two, for two Sorry. minutes. Skip me for two minutes. Yeah, all right. You you come you come back in two minutes. I want to finish with it. All right. So so here, who was next? Who was next? What we yeah, well, let's uh, let's get uh, J five in here and uh, Raxi next, and then we'll do all right. Max after. All right, J five, what's up? Hey guys, um, I've got a natural gas question. So um, for you know, I've had an allocation of the natural gas question, natural gas space for a long time, and for most of that time, you know, most of the last ten years, it seemed to have moved. Um, it seemed to be positively correlated with the price of oil because, I mean, I'm talking about particularly the natural gas trucking space. So, you know, all things being equal, um, as price of oil goes up, natural gas seems to be a, a marginally cheaper option to fuel trucks with. Now, recently, that correlation seems to have been broken. I mean, I hear you guys talking about $200 oil and with all of the, you know, instability going on. One would think, you know, based on the last 10 years, if oil's going to the moon, then it drags natural gas, you know, in particular this space up with it. Since that doesn't seem to be the case, I'm wondering if you guys have an explanation for that. Is it because electric yeah, vehicles hold, have gotten hold, cheaper? Hold, 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 yeah, hold on. Shabam, are you there? Shabam? Yeah. 
Yeah, Siobhan, the question is, I could take it, but you're much smarter than I am on this. Can you speak to, the question was, Nat gas and oil used to correlate pretty closely. Now they're totally out of whack. Why has the oil price gone crazy and natural gas not so much? That's the question. Sure, yeah. So one of the biggest reasons is, is the development of this hydraulic fracturing technology, which, which brought all the shale oil online. I mean, you know, there's only so much oil that was there to bring up. Shale oil is not oil. It's, it's gas wells that produce a bunch of oil with it. So there's been this huge plethora of, of gas that, that basically sits underneath the U.S. And they've got pipelines, they've got you know, uh, infrastructure to get it all over America. So basically there's so much gas there that as soon as the price goes over four or five bucks, you can bring a whole whack of gas online pretty easily. But, but oil is completely different because there's, there's only so much oil you can bring online. The wells decline a lot. Um, and like I said before, you got to export this oil and bring in the heavier oil. So it's just a whole mess. Whereas natural gas is natural gas. It doesn't matter really what the blending components of it is. So, so within America and, and Canada, for that matter, hydraulic fracturing has completely changed the landscape. And there, there's so much gas underneath, uh, underneath America. Like if, if the Northeast kind of figured it out, like New York and Boston have the cheapest gas, like you could basically give it away for free and still make money on it. So... Um, it's just a su- supply demand that's that, that's changed in the last ten years with Thanks. hydraulic fracturing. Thanks, Javon. That's brilliant. So, sorry, quick follow up. So, if supply has exploded and gas is even cheaper now, shouldn't sh- shouldn't um, uh, natural gas fueled uh, vehicles be an even more appetizing uh, alternative to to? Oil? Yeah, and that is the case. If you look at India and China, they are putting compressed natural gas all over the place. It's just America, there's so much bureaucracy and, and red tape around getting all this stuff into fruition. Um, it's just going to take forever, and, and it's never going to happen, unfortunately, uh, you know, to, to tell you the truth. It's just way too much uh, nonsense and NIMBYs and all this other stuff going on. Um, it's just my opinion anyways. I don't know, Javier, if you have a better opinion on that. You hit the nail on the head, bud. Thanks, Shabam. Always brilliant. Thanks, Thanks guys. Uh, we're going to do Raxi and then Max Niz. Raxi, what's up? I appreciate you guys. So um, definitely some good points you guys raised. Definitely um, don't see oil stopping at any point in the future. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. But basically, uh, my whole question is in the in the same you know space as the oil um, and natural gas kind of conversation. Do you think that some of these companies, I mean, just one in particular that I'm looking at, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Um, it's called Vermilion um, Energy. And basically, I mean, they, you know, they hedged their bets from, you know, oil just in case with natural gas. Uh, but now it's like they're sort of double dipping in the market. So, like, do you think that these companies have capacity, like these smaller cap companies have capacity to scale in a way that would be kind of universal for the whole world? You know, um, it, it just kind of something to throw out there, I guess. Yeah, all right. So, 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 Shabam, I, 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 I suspect this is kind of suspicious now. You talk, and then another guy asks a question. I'm thinking that you actually paid him to ask that question. So, Shabam, you want to give us like a minute or two on uh, on Vermilion, please? Yeah, you bet. So, um, Vermilion is one of the big, most hated companies out there. They used to pay a 23 cent a month dividend, and then they cut it right down to zero in in March 2020. They completely flipped out the management, so people were were really unhappy with, with what was going on, um, and then. In late 2021, you could have it for about 10 bucks a share. You could buy this, and right now it's trading about 20 bucks a share um, on the U.S. markets. 
and it's European natural gas. That's it. This company has so much exposure to this gas. They bought another field um, late last year from from Equinor, and and this company is going to set up to make so much damn money here in the next couple of years. You're right, 2022, they're kind of hedged a bit at lower pricing. But look at the 2023 and 2024 strip for European natural gas. It's gone up like 40, 50, 60, 80%. So, um, you know, this is one that I don't have the equities. I kind of thought this was going to happen. Not the Russia situation, but the European gas with their coal and nuclear nonsense that they keep doing there. So I bought a bunch of options for December 2022, and I'm uh, I'm laughing all the way to the bank. So that's basically, I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah, and just just to say, follow up, George, I'm not paid by anybody, man. Like this is it correlated with with the conversation that was going on. So yeah, no, that that was absolutely no, no way. That's great, perfect. Thanks, Rexy. I appreciate it. Right, we're gonna do Max and then Charlie. Max, what's up? Uh, hi, I'm Max from Germany, and yeah, yeah, we are in the dire position here because. All right, we all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're now gonna have a seminar. From Max, he is the resident European expert now. He's going to okay. talk, explain to us what's going on. So, Max, here's what I want you to—I want you to explain to us what's going on with the uh, utility, the energy prices there. Um, what is the attitude of the people? Like, are they starting to realize this is all bullshit? Is there any chance they're going to, you know, what do they think about the Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? So, you, 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 the floor is all yours, but we very much want to hear what you have to say. So, Max, go ahead. Um, no, we uh, the government. Uh, it's a left green government or a red green government, and they are very aggressive on Russia. And uh, they had a, the agenda that we uh, stop all nuclear power plants, and now they are thinking about to. Uh, yeah, reactivate or stop the uh, yeah shutdown of the remaining uh, nuclear power plants. And where I'm located in Hamburg in the north of Germany, they also uh, stopped the um, uh, yeah shutting down of the uh, coal power plants. And yeah. But I, I, I think it's not enough because our... Uh, our um, yeah electric grid um, is so reliant on these renewable power plants like uh, yeah wind turbines or solar systems, and um, in Germany it's the case we 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 rely so heavily on natural gas to that's uh, um, called windflaute <laughs> when there's no sun shining and no wind blowing so. Um, then we have to, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so Max, I want to ask you, Max, I want to ask you a question. What, what is the? I know you got the Green Party and all this craziness, right? But, but yeah. what is the average person in the street starting to think now? Do they realize this is completely fucked up? Like, are they starting to get pissed off? Mm, no. 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 They don't realize the, uh, the shit and what we are in because uh, um, the German grid is uh, endangering the whole European grid because of this whole uh, renewable energy because uh, in the in the top times when the sh uh, when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing uh, 
we are consuming, I think, 40% of our power consumptions from renewable energies. But uh, when there's no, uh, yeah, wind blowing, no sun shining, uh, we are importing from um, the French uh, nuclear power plants and the Polish and Czech um, coal plants. And this is not reliable, but uh, yeah, this propaganda in the media that this is uh, yeah sustainable. Um, this is totally crazy. So, uh, Ma- yeah. Ma- Ma- Max, Max, let me ask you: Do you live in an apartment or a house? Where do you live? I live in an apartment. And, and I'm just curious: How has your uh, your power bill, your electricity bill, how much has it increased in the last year? Um. From um, from fifty euros to uh, one hundred euros, and then I switched the um, yeah the supplier, and it went down to seventy euros because uh, yeah the, the, this one was yeah, virtual signaling this before, and they want to uh, yeah rely on this re- renewable energy right now let me then let me ask you let's switch the subject slightly so let's talk about the ukraine yeah and what is the at the attitude of the typical typical attitude of the government and the attitude of the man in the street with respect to the ukraine situation now this is very difficult uh, we have um uh russian um supermarkets it's a supermarket chain around uh, germany it's called mix Markt. um they are selling only uh, russian products and they were attacked around germany they smashed the windows or uh, uh yeah paint bombs and uh, it's it's very difficult here because we have uh it's called Russland Deutsche. Um, there were settlers um, through the time where uh, Catherine the Great was uh, emperor in Germany, uh, in, in Russia. And um, there were a lot of settlers from Germany uh, went to the Volga region. And there, during the Soviet area, they were coming back and um yeah it's a very difficult um time for them in germany and yeah the hatred is very big against those peoples yeah yeah and they're they're in in the media and also in the public there's very very small um, differentiation about yeah, whose fault is this conflict and that's very sad here in Germany. So, Max, that's uh, some good insight there. Yeah, so so, so what is your own um, what's the what, what do you think the German government if it, I mean, it seems to us if you were listening in the room before, and I think you probably were, people were telling the story of how, you know, the European com- countries are all screwed up now because the uh, Russia has them by the balls with the energy. So, 
Would you disagree with that, or would you agree with that? And I think we we are screwed up because um, um, there's a town started in the north. Uh, we don't have the uh, capacity to get this LPG tankers. We don't have this. And um, our government is just saying, yeah, if it's not too cold anymore, uh, we will <laughs> we'll go to, to this winter without any Russian help. And yeah. Yeah, Germany was uh, was also very uh, yeah very government hearing during the COVID crisis, and it's so terrifying how this switched with this uh, yeah Russian wow. crisis. So the narrative was just yeah uh, uh, taking so over. Yeah, Max, we're learning so much from you. Um, does anybody on the stage, any of the other speakers? have a question for Max? Because I think it's we're really, we're really privileged to have Max here. Are there any questions for Max, Dave? Yeah, yeah Max. Or somebody or a prodigal? It'd be, it'd be quick. Uh, Max, what is the uh, German media, like Build and other, other channels, showing in regards to the Ukrainian conflict? Is it trying to make Germans uh, move towards uh, more interventionists in the conflict? Or are they trying to be objective and talking about these fuel and food concerns? No, they, they, they are not objective. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, there's uh, uh, the sender, uh, the TV TV station built. And uh, I looked at, at this and this was so obviously propaganda. They, they showed uh, an old... Uh, yeah, Ukrainian uh, woman in an, uh, this ghillie uh, suit, you know, this from, from the snipers, and it looked so staged. And uh, no, this is this is nothing objective. And uh, here, here in Germany, you can't uh, receive any uh, Russian information. It's all blocked, and yeah, nothing objective. Wow. Who else? Who else? Who else? Anyone has a question for Max? Please just speak up. You don't have to be recognized. Just speak up. Hey, Max. Uh, just a quick question for you about news sources. I've seen like DW sometimes on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, are they are those reputable? Or like, what news sources do you trust out of Germany? None. <laughs> We're all in the same boat then. No, but uh, yes, I but but um, yeah, I yeah, because of the propaganda uh, during the p- p- pandemic and yeah. Wow. Yeah, Dance wow. Washington said it. Uh, if, if you, there, if was, you there was if, no hesitation. There was no hesitation yeah. on your, with your answer, Matt. No, but, but, <laughs> no, but, but, but if you don't uh, yeah, view the news, uh, you're uninformed. If you view the news, you are uh, misinformed. Yeah. Is that a Denzel Washington quote? Yeah. 
Love what it. Was the quote? Well, yeah, what, what's the quote again? I didn't catch it. What's the quote? Please repeat. If you don't, if you don't, if if you don't view the uh, or, 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 or watch the news, you're uh, not informed. If you're uh, watching the news, you're misinformed. Love it. I, I like I'm, that. I'm, yeah, I like I got, that. I got to tweet. I got to tweet that out. Tweet that hey, by the way, guys, just, just just a little housekeeping here. We got a lot of hand, we got a lot of requests to speak here. This room is just a lot of good good in, information here. So if we bump you down, don't don't yeah. uh, don't panic. Oh, oh, you can, oh, we can oh, always bring you up. So you, oh here, you created a monster here. I mean, who well, knew? Like two hours ago, <laughs> two hours ago, you and me and spitballing on the phone. Now we got right. over six hundred people here going at it with some really well, unbelievable the, contributions. Yeah, and you know what? There's uh, some great, great intel here. I, I would encourage anybody to, uh, you know, to speak up. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of good people in here that can answer questions. So fantastic. So bear with us here. We're going to move some, some people around, and then uh, we'll add some more folks in here. All right. So uh, Neil hasn't spoken yet. He's got his hand up. What's up, Neil? Hey, George. Uh, phenomenal room. O'Hare, phenomenal as well. Um, great to hear from you, experts. I'm a, I'm a doctor and professor at Johns Hopkins, and the information you guys share helps everyone. I, I really have benefited from it as well. My question deals with uh, the interplay of global capital flows uh, with inflation in the United States and potentially how you know fiscal and Federal Reserve policy might get changed going forward. Um, it seems like based on the insights of Javier and many others here that the ability to backfill the oil supply in Europe is going to be a significant issue and that they may get hit the hardest. And if that's the first domino to fall in what looks to be a global recessionary environment that's impending, do capital outflows from Europe into the United States and the potential slight cushion for the dollar there uh, help uh, the Federal Reserve in managing increasing oil prices and other issues with the economy? Uh, good question. Um, the dollar has risen against all expectations a few months ago. Actually, if you go back a year ago, the slam dunk trade was the dollar was going to go to zero. That was, you know, I'm exaggerating, but the idea was it going to go down a lot. That was a consensus trade. Totally wrong. With the intensifying, um, and the dollar was strong before this conflict broke out as we were moving into a more risk-off environment. Uh, the dollar is viewed oftentimes, believe it or not, as a safe haven currency. So money was fleeing some of the more distressed emerging markets uh, into dollars. Um, and now what's happened uh, in the last few weeks, as you rightly point out, money has been fleeing Europe and going into dollars. And so, yes, to the, to the import of your question, to the extent we have to sell, you know, hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars worth of debt and bonds and rates are extremely low. You know, it's kind of a push-pull thing. On the one hand, you know, these other places are less attractive. On the other hand, you know, if, you, if you'd gone back a few months ago before this, this crisis really intensified, you might have thought the dollar should go down or might go down to attract people, more people to invest. But now the dollar is strengthening as a, as a sort of risk-off idea. So, yes, it will make their job a little bit easier, but it's not sustainable. And, and I'm just going to invoke something from my experience from 30-some-odd years ago. I was a very big investor in Japan, Fidelity, I was at Fidelity at the time, and the Japanese stock market was supported by the so-called triple merit scenario. That is to say, you had falling oil prices, falling interest rates, 
and a falling dollar. Um, so the money wouldn't go into dollars, it would go into yen. So you had positive capital inflows, same thing, falling oil prices and falling interest rates. I'd like to point out that we kind of have the opposite of that right now here. We have rising oil prices, a rising currency was actually as a negative um, from the standpoint of um, corporate earnings. And we had rising interest rates. The only reason they're not going up more is because now we got this horrible Ukrainian situation to contend with. So higher oil, higher dollar, um, interest rates now going down for the wrong reason. None of that's positive for stocks. So you ask a great question. Um, I think, you know, one that we didn't, it wasn't implicit in your question, but I'm going to go on it anyway. Um, as you look around the rest of the world at emerging markets, um, you know, what was the standard, the old joke someone reminded me of the other day, uh, you know, they asked the old lines, why are emerging markets called emerging markets? That's because they're always emerging. I mean, you know, you've got you know, Turkey blowing up, Argentina blowing up, that Russia's blowing up. I mean, and so is as screwed up as the U.S. is, oftentimes you've, you've heard the overused phrase, best house in a bad neighborhood. So thanks for the question. O'Hare, who's next? Uh, I, okay, so Charlie, Charlie was next, and then we'll go to DN and then Baron. Go ahead, Charlie. Hello, every, hello, everybody. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to, to speak. Um, I have three points that I wanted to share with everybody. Um, the first one is regarding the Venezuelan issue. And I think I've been watching on online and in some news sources, sometimes there's a little bit of a misunderstanding of why Venezuela is so important. It's not so much because of the oil. It's because uh, the people who have been funding Venezuela's disaster and their bonds for the past, what, seven, eight, ten years, has been China. So uh, the focus of the United States right now to, to, to broach or, or at least uh, get a little bit closer with the Venezuelan government is because of spheres of influence. Um, right now, the United States is behind in that in that regard with Venezuela, and they need to be able to have Venezuela more on this side instead of on the Chinese side. So I would suspect that the United States will um, will be fairly aggressive in trying to get Venezuela onto their side. It's and it's not because of the oil either. It's if I could remind you that I live in Panama, and I'm a private investor. And I've been working. I've worked in banks and different places uh, for all of my time. And what we notice in Panama is that this is the Panama Canal. And I think some of you in the Canadian oil mafia would remember that some of the oil that the United States needs sometimes, since there isn't a pipeline, they take it around, they put it on a boat and they go through the canal and take it up to the, to the East Coast. So that is partly why um, the Panama and you know, for me is very important. That's why Venezuela is so important because you can't have a belligerent uh, country uh, that reminds you of the old uh, of Cuba where you can have, uh, you already have Russian soldiers in Venezuela uh, because they're the ones that help and train the Venezuelan military and control uh, the drug, their, you call it their drug economy that they have that holds up that government. Um, I wanted to jump into part two, which is what I'm looking at with silver and gold. I'm 100% silver. 
Um, all I do is I buy SLV as much as I can when it goes down for the simple reason, if when I look at the ratio and I can look at a lot of different things that are going on in the world. And this is the one thing that always comes back to me in the past, in the past month is that in times of fear, and the dollar is going up, that's telling you that there's a large geopolitical imbalance and fear trade going on. And the only things that really make sense, I mean, you can talk, oil is good, it's fine, it's the, it's the principal tool right now of geopolitics. But when I look at uh, the silver-gold ratio going back to, heck, 1975, and I look at how silver, that ratio right now, is trading at a level, a support level, that goes all the way back to 1986 or so. So I always go back to this thing that, okay, if, if there is a fear trade that's going on that's going to last a few years, the, the easiest thing for me to do is just load up on silver. And I, and I don't do anything with gold. Uh, and I also, the third thing that I wanted to mention is going to that comment about euro dollar deposits. And it's exactly what you said, George, is, is, you know, most people expect, okay, if oil and all these commodities are going up, the dollar has to be going down. But the issue is not inflation. Well, yeah, it's inflation, but it's the issue that we're living right now is much larger than just any one country's inflation. It's, uh, it is a... Uh, what do you call it, a survival. It is something that goes much, much more beyond any one nation's fear of inflation or how you manage your, your currency. Right now, it's the dollar that has to be bought because it's the one currency that's stable. It's not a, let's say, for example, that could not, that is not easily thrown away as we're doing with the ruble. You know, it can't be sanctioned off uh, as a ruble would be. Okay, thanks. That was all. George, if I can just jump in for a second. So, Charlie, you said you, you said you were in it. Panama, right? So, I'm just curious. I mean, what success do you think that the U.S. is actually going to have with Venezuela? I'm sure you're familiar with Latin America. I mean, China just signed a deal with Ecuador. Prodigal, let me, just prodigal, signed... let me, cut, look, prodigal, let me yeah. cut you off. Let me cut you off. Save it. You have a bad connection. I'll make it easy for you. Zero. Does that answer your question? <laughs> That's what I assume. <laughs> All right. Next. 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 All right. Um, uh, where sure. are we Sorry. Shall uh, I pop in? Sorry, who who was that? Uh, I'm Vlad. I'm from Latvia. Yeah. Oh, Vlad. Welcome to the stage. What's up, man? <laughs> Thank you. I'm fine. Hope Putin uh, uh, hasn't found uh, Latvia on the map yet. But uh, yeah, we are a bit worried. Um, I have maybe two questions. Uh, one, uh, the first one is uh, maybe rather political. Um, like... Um, if Biden knew uh, weeks uh, ahead that the war is coming, like uh, why uh, why didn't he do much uh, to prevent it? Like uh, are there any people in the U.S. or wondering about it? Or uh, and um, the second question is about China. Um, since right, stop, uh, stop, stop, hold on, hold on, one question at a time. All so right. Let's take, so let's take the first one. So do you want do you want the the real answer, which is conspiracy answer, which is what I believe, or do you want bullshit answer? What do you want? No, uh, <laughs> rather conspiracy. Uh, okay, uh, all right, okay, like all right, all right. So the conspiracy answer is, and I actually believe this, 
and I'm gonna I, I, and I, I, we're gonna do we're gonna take these questions one at a time because I'm gonna give an answer and then I want Prodigal and Dave Collum to give an answer. So one of the, the crazy theories, crackpot theories that I've read, which I believe, is that the U.S. actually brought this on, and almost in a way they wanted it. Mm. That if you go back two months ago, they sent Kamala Harris, who I'm going to have to really control myself here. They sent Kamala Harris to this uh, conference. Yeah, oh, here you know where I was going with that. They they sent Kamala Harris to 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 go here. I'm getting you up as a co-host again. They sent Kamala Harris to this conference. I read what what it was. And, you know, she's opening her mouth and going on about you know NATO and blah blah blah. And they knew, and what NATO was going, you know, you know, Ukraine should become part of NATO. And it's well known what Putin um, thinks about Ukraine joining NATO. He said it many times in the past. And so they sent her, it was like a direct provocation to kind of push his buttons. And if you want to be really anti-American, you'd say, you know, it's deliberate. You know, we're very good at starting trouble in various places. And I don't know how far conspiracy you want to get, because, I mean, if you want the full conspiracy, it's almost like they wanted to have the confrontation because, you know, what do presidents here in this country always do? They start trouble elsewhere to deflect attention away from domestic problems so that's the conspiracy theory view and to me um it's the one i believe um there are other dissenting views i don't know if prodigal or dave Collin in particular if either of you have any answers uh for uh vlad uh, prodigal or dave are you there yeah i mean i don't think there was much he can do I mean, I agree with George to an extent. Uh, you saw the messaging for renewal and climate change and BlackRock going in and city groups say we're not going to do business with you. So they were basically in a catch-22 uh, with in regards to p- pursuing their uh, green energy plans while uh, Ukraine popped off. I mean, he didn't have much credibility. America and most of the world is still divided uh, due to COVID restrictions. No, 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 they- no, we're proud, no we're proud of, I think the question is, how did this whole thing come down? I mean, in my conspiracy theory view is the U.S. kind of wanted it, all right? Like, you know, there were a lot of conversations behind closed doors. How, how did it come to this? Like, what did the U.S. do or not do that resulted in this happening? That's the question. I mean, I, I, what you said. I mean, NATO policy. Uh, in addition to Kamala, who I think is the border czar and the space czar, sending her I knew was a death kiss. But, uh, it's just the the policy has been bad, and I don't know if it's been on purpose or for what reason. But once Zelensky, for me, the massing of Russian troops over 150,000 showed there was going to be an invasion, and Zelensky did two things that, I, to my opinion, forced Putin's hand. The first is when he said they were re- going to reengage with uh, nuclear energy and their nuclear program, and the second was when he called his reservists, but then he was stupid and didn't do a full uh, mobilization. I think those two were the moment. Those two things Zelensky did cross the Rubicon, and America just didn't control Zelensky. We gave them, you know, we 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 encouraged this. All right, okay, mm-hmm. now. I already had a lot of Twitter flack today. Now, oh, here, I'm really going to just mix it up, okay? Someone said to me this morning, and it actually kind of resonates with me, Prodigal. <laughs> How do I get into politics? But here we go. So, Prodigal, someone said to me this morning about Zelensky, he's kind of like the Anthony Fauci of, 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 of Ukraine. What would you say to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I read his polling was at historic lows before this. He ran as a peace candidate, and then he got sucked in by the far right of Ukrainian politics. I mean, he's not he might be beloved right now and his country's rallying around the flag effect, but he was not beloved before this. He was yeah, not... no, he, I, I like the one. He's the Anthony Fauci of the Ukraine. That one, that one really resonated with me. So uh, Dave, Colm, do you have, do you have any thoughts about how we got into this mess, Dave? Uh, I have thoughts. I'm not sure they're very deep. I'd also like to hear what Doomberg has to say. He's a wise guy. Well, um, if, he'll, if he'll come up, is he in the room? He's in the room. And yeah. uh, you, you know what, you know what, like he's worse than you. Like, I tried to get him up yesterday to come up, but he's, like, on this desktop. I said, no, no, you have to use a cell phone. He kept saying, no, no, you can use it for a desktop. So he never came up. So I think he's using that to hide. Hopefully we can get him to come up because he's, he's a really smart guy. We want to hear from him. But, 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 Dave, if you could talk a little bit about how do you think this whole thing came down? How do we get to where we are? Well, I, I have a lot of bullet points. I'm getting in a lot of fights on Twitter, and I'm now a Russian troll uh, Putin lover, apparently. Um we, we've been poking at Putin relentlessly for five years now. So every single thing that went wrong, uh, Doomberg may actually know this back when the Skripal poisoning occurred. I was the only organic chemist out there going, this storyline is complete bullshit. So they're saying this has to be Russians. I went out there. I ended up all over. I was getting calls from Al Jazeera and you name it. I was the only organic chemist saying this nerve gas you guys are blaming Russia on could be made by a sophomore in my class. And uh, and so so we've been doing this relentlessly through the Trump campaign. So if I were Putin, I'd be pretty pissed off at this point. I think it's safe to say that anyone with a half a brain knows that Ukraine is a hot button issue. And the last thing you do, especially if you've been married for many years, you know, you stay away from hot button issues. So if we're pushing if we're pushing Ukraine into into NATO, if we're trying to make it look like we're pulling them in. I, I, it's just a very inflammatory thing to do for which there's no upside. So, yeah, it, it feels like we're doing something intentionally. And, uh, and and it feels dead wrong to me. And I think last year, the year before, I said these guys are playing a very dangerous game. They're, they're using uh, Putin as a political football. What kind of crazy is that? So I've been blaming I've been blaming the West for doing this for the last few weeks. I didn't think Putin was going to bite. He seems to have. But here's the second thing. I don't believe shit about what we're seeing on the news and the footage. I've been watching for footage, which I can say, look, that's a real war. You know, saving Private Ryan footage. I've been looking. And if you look carefully, the footage is always after the fact or some distant explosion that you don't know what it is. Uh, You don't know who blew it up. Um, someone said, well, CNN, for example, was, you know, interviewing some guy and there were explosions in the background. I go, so you don't think CNN could get some guy with a couple of weapons to blow some shit up in the background to make it look cool? Of course. <laughs> hey, get out of here. Go. And, uh, and uh, so, so I, the whole thing has a wag the dog feel to it, even though I know that Putin's in Ukraine. I know that th- things are happening, but it doesn't it doesn't feel right to me. And so uh, so I have this funny feeling that that once again, we can't trust the narrative. And, and I can't think of a narrative that we've gotten in the last 10 years that I believe at this point. So I don't see why I should start now. Yeah. All right. That's great. So Dave, Dave, just hold, hold it there. All right. So Vlad. Hopefully my, my, my... You know, Vlad, Vlad, hold on. It's going to be your turn. So we, get, we answered your first question, which was not an easy question. 
What is your second mm. question, please? My second question is uh, yeah, more about investments and making money. Um, like now, everybody is scared of China uh, because of uh, real uh, real issue with uh, Taiwan. And uh, I think, in in my opinion, uh, well, uh, they'll be scared of. Uh, uh, invading uh, Taiwan right now uh, because uh, uh, because of sanctions and uh, swift response uh, uh, to them, and they are uh, more um, involved in in the world's economy. Um, do you think uh, China? Uh, well, also from a monetary uh, response right now, uh, China is uh, actually uh, lowering uh, the. Uh, the rates and uh, supporting the economy. Do you think? Uh, do you see more uh, potential uh, of uh, China's exporting of microchips, for, uh, for example, sector uh, dealing with Russia? And uh, uh, since uh, since Russia has been blocked from uh, from Western world, like, uh, do you think there's uh, might be? Uh, more potential uh, in in China in investments in China. Also, it's it's quite uh, yeah, it's quite risky uh, yeah, to so, invest so, in uh, emerging markets uh, and yeah. uh, everywhere. Yeah. So let me answer that. And well, here you follow if you want. I have two thoughts. One, and I tweeted this out yesterday. It was one of the tweets pretty much everyone ignored. I thought it was hilarious. No, hilarious. I thought it was great. Well, if, let me just find it here. My friend uh, uh, Ken who's actually um, uh, been in, in our rooms before. He follows emerging markets. He actually was a, was a speaker a few weeks ago. He tweeted something. that He sent something to me, and I actually put it in the Twitter. Let me just find it here. Uh, where are we here? Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I can't find it. I don't know where it went. Anyway, he was talking about how um, uh, Xi, Xi Jinping, uh, has a chance now to be the hero um, that mm-hmm. um, it was drawing it, you know, just like in the James Bond movie. I think it was a it was a film clip from Goldfinger. It shows James Bond, um, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it breaks in. I think it's in Fort Knox. Um, uh, he breaks in. Here we go. Here we go. I, I found it. He says uh, it's a scene where James Bond is defusing a nuclear bomb. And he says, it's an opportunity for Xi to save the world and become a peacemaker hero. If I was Xi Jinping, I would wait until the last minute when the countdown clock is ticking like in a James Bond movie and defuse it just in the nick of time. I mean, look, China has a lot of leverage over Russia. There's no question about it. But, and China's obviously watching very intently what's going on on with Taiwan. I really hesitate to talk too much about this because I'm making fun of everyone who thinks they're a geopolitical expert. So who am I? But I think the Chinese are probably paying very close attention to the way the whole world is pushing back against Russia. And, you know, if we get a if we get a financial you know, collapse, global recession, that's not going to be good for China either. So on the one hand, China's saying, well, wait a second, Russia's pulling this stunt. The world really hates them now. And this could lead to a recession and financial crash. That's going to hurt us. On the other hand. On the other hand, there's no question that you know that China is talking to Russia. Who knows what reassurances or financial support China is providing? 
or maybe buying commodities or whatever. You know, Russia cannot be doing this without China's implicit support. Uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Putin went to visit uh, China before, you know, during the Olympics. And, you know, when you think about what do China and Russia and Iran and all the other bad guys have in common, you know, the undermining of uh, U.S. dollar hegemony, and actually the Europeans wouldn't mind that either. We have a stranglehold. We have a lock in the global financial system. And that's a huge, a huge weapon, a huge competitive advantage. Mm. And so if this could be a situation where and maybe we're triggering this ourselves, like you know, you've seen, you know, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, the Russians thought they had 300 billion in reserves in the SWIFT system. Now they can't get their hands on it, blah, blah, blah. Maybe this will actually be the thing that that triggers the emergence of a competing payments network. You got the Russians and the. Chinese and who knows, maybe the Indians and the Iranians. And this could actually hasten the demise of the U.S. You know, hegemony in, 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 in financial markets. So there's something here for everybody. I think it's a very tricky situation. Uh, I, I do not believe Chinese financial markets are particularly interesting right now. I think for the same reason most markets are not interesting. Yes, there's been some relaxation of uh, the Chinese uh, monetary uh, aggregates. Please follow um, uh, Cross Border Capital. It's Cross Border, one word, Cross Border Capital. Mm-hmm. Michael Howe, I've, no- I've known him over 30 years. I keep retweeting his stuff. He is the best guy out there on global liquidity. And he's been maintaining the position that the Chinese, you know, they would provide enough liquidity to kind of support the economy from total collapse because of the Evergrande real estate disaster. But they didn't want to really pump up the economy. They're trying to rebalance the economy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, however, however, in the last numbers we got from China, it did show a nice increase in some of the monetary aggregates. So it's too early to tell. But Michael, who is much smarter on liquidity and monetary policy than I am, has been saying he does not believe the Chinese wish to stimulate their economy very much, that they're trying to rebalance their economy. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. China clearly, you asked a very good question, but it's very hard to answer. Hopefully it makes you think about it. My answers can make you think about it a little bit more, but I think it's a very difficult situation over here. Did you have any, any insights on that? Or, or, uh, or, or Abe, I see you're up here. Maybe I don't put you on the spot, but you study world markets a lot. And, and specifically, we'll get to your question later, but do you have any perspective on Vlad's question about China? Well, I do. George, I, I do actually. Um, I don't think it's in. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't think Abe. it's in. Yeah, Abe. I don't Abe, think. Yeah, Abe, Abe, the floor is yours. Go ahead, Abe. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I do. I don't think it's in China's best interest uh, at this time uh, to do anything with Taiwan. In fact, um, it, it, this is going to sound completely strange to many. Uh, they already have Taiwan. They've essentially going to. Um, they're going to drown them. Uh, very, very slowly over a period of time. Um, There is no geopolitical interest for them uh, to invade Taiwan. If they did, uh, (laughs) I would be in a state of utter shock. I throw myself over a bridge. How's that? That's how much uh, I don't believe uh, that. I I believe it's actually a bit of a red herring and nonsense. I think the real issue, and it's deflection, the real issue is um, that, and someone had mentioned this and made a very good point, that China will end up being the uh, the world broker because uh, my own personal preference is that you know from a geopolitical standpoint, uh, China is the 
the leading emerging superpower. Whether we want to believe it or not is another matter, but they will, uh, they will jockey and reposition themselves as they are even in this, con- uh, in this conflict. Uh, so, so I'll leave it at that. Other than one last little tidbit, uh, NATO met over the weekend and uh, Stoltenberg basically came out and said, quote unquote, this is not our war. Uh, in response to um, the Ukrainian president's uh, request uh, to cover Ukraine as a no-fly zone and also provide uh, heavy military equipment. So I think that speaks volumes. And I think from there, you'll understand the intent and the, and the, and the total conviction of NATO uh, to intervene in Ukraine. I'll stop right there. Thank you. Thanks for that, Abe. And does, anyone, does anyone else have an answer to Vlad's question about China? David, do you, or anybody? Otherwise, we'll move on. Can Maybe you repeat it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean, did you, did you want to answer Vlad's question? Yeah, like, could you please uh, repeat the question just so I get all the details? Well, well no, uh, Vlad, no, Vlad, if you want to speak, it's different. We're, doing yeah. order, but we're just on China right now. What do you view as China? I mean, do you, well, if you don't want to speak about China, just 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 hold your fire because I'm trying to process. This yeah, I mean, I'll jump in real quick. I agree with Taiwan, right? Uh, they're if they're able to infiltrate uh, Western governments, they're they're very infiltrated in, in Taiwan, right? There's been reports that they've even gone so close as the president's security detail. <clears throat> there's a reason why there's a push now to build chip manufacturing in Ohio, Texas, and other states, right? Uh, you know, China is not going to move on Taiwan. I don't think it needs to, but if it does, then you know, the world order as we know it is over. At that point, they have rare earth, metals, uh, rare earth minerals and precious metals. They have a large manufacturing base. They have one of three uh, financial cities in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and London. And then they will have, you know, the, the, the world's manufacturing chips, which we're seeing the delays right now and everything from ovens right. to cars. Right. So I don't think they need to do that. I, I think that if you look at what they've done, especially with the Beijing, you know, the genocide Olympics, you know, the amount of deals that they've closed with Iraq, with Assyria, with Iran, with Serbia now, I mean, it, it's, it's astronomical and they're Belt and Road Initiative is working fine, and people don't realize that right. with that, uh, you know, those financial and economic agreements, as they phase in, they can start switching them to yuan-denominated, uh, you know, debt uh, and currency. So, you know, this is something where you know China doesn't need to rock the boat; it can have Russia at it as its satellite pit bull in Eastern Europe while it continues to conquer the globe with its money. Right. Thank you, Prodigal. All right, I just want to uh, just say it's my intention to close this room. O'Hare, unless you want to keep going, I'm, I'm, we're going to close this room at, at, in a half hour at six twenty. If you want to keep going after six twenty, O'Hare, it's up to you. But I got to leave. Yeah, I got to hop in a little bit too because I got to take my kid to uh, all right. Gym okay, okay, all right. So, so with that in mind, we got a lot of pe- we got a lot of people here requesting. Yeah, I know here. So we're gonna, so we're going with a hurry up offense. <laughs> we have we're giving a thirty minute warning, not two minute warning. No speech and a question. We're going to keep it tight and we're going to move quickly. Maybe so, my, 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 so just just my la- last two comments. Yeah. Um, basically, what I what I wish, and uh, I think uh, the potential for the U.S. is um, um, to finally to apply diplomacy to embrace to embrace Russia like Clinton did, and uh, yeah, to to find a compromise for for this war, and to appear finally as a world leader as uh, as uh, it it should be, and. Uh, my second uh, like wish, if uh, there's uh, somebody from Argentina or Brazil, um, yeah, like two agriculturally strong countries, um, I would like to hear about uh, 
uh, the situation uh, there on uh, all right yeah, so, all right so 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 so, so Blaine, I, Blaine, I thank you for that um, thank you very we're much move, we're going to move quickly and if you're thrown off the stage it's because we got to get more people up here charlie do you have a question otherwise i'm going to throw you off the stage charlie no i'm good thank you all right thank you i'm going to put you back in the audience if you don't mind um hold on so uh dna you got a follow up question yeah just wondering on the chessboard where we're at at this point because you look at south america the russian slash chinese alliance has venezuela in its pocket and they're getting brazil because russia's allowing them to consume fertilizer right you look at the middle east all these countries are now basically going to russia saying well we're done without your wheat we need to buy your wheat right so on the global chessboard how would a chinese denominated currency ever become reserve currency not right, that so i'm it's a DN, that... DN, DN, DN. that's a seemingly simple question very complicated answer uh, it's a great question i just don't want to get into that now because we only got 27 minutes yeah i mean george you, you don't even have to right because it's not going to happen overnight people yeah, think right, it's going to be a switch product product's got yeah. it right it's later rather than sooner china's not ready for a chinese currency okay so let's just leave that one dn if you don't mind um robert you got a follow-up question robert Yes, uh, just uh, two comments. Uh, one on the whole uh, U.S. interest or NATO interest with Ukraine's war. And the video that you posted yesterday of Peter Zaihan, um, he mentioned, um, you know, however this started, whoever wanted this, it is pretty clear that it's in the best interest of NATO for this to go on as long as possible. Um, Russia is going to, like, they want to make basically Russia bleed as much. I mean, we all don't know what's true, what's not true, but... It's beneficial for NATO to have Russia being occupied with the war in Ukraine. So I think from their perspective, uh, they want this to go on as long as possible. Um, second point I wanted to make uh, after Max from Germany spoke. I'm originally from Germany. I'm up in Canada now, which uh, I couldn't be more happy about, to be honest. But uh, even if Canada is not ideal, but uh, I wouldn't want to be in Europe right now and in Germany especially. Um, on the situation there, I still have contacts, of course, and family and stuff. So from talking to them, I think they're running into the same exact thing as they did with the renewables. They're listening to all the virtue signaling, posting their uh, Ukrainian flags and uh, screaming all in support, uh, but still uh, missing the bigger picture. Um, I think it was pretty interesting that... Uh, they all jumped onto like, oh, let's take them off of SWIFT. Let's let's punish the Russians and blah, blah, blah. But no one has any idea what the consequences of this are. And they're just blindly following uh, whatever the, the leaders are kind of, whatever the mood is, whatever the whatever is hip or woke right now. So um, I don't know. This this is very difficult because as, as Max said, there is pretty deep Russian ties. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert, if you don't mind, excellent point. I totally agree with you. It's like with so much other crap that's coming out of our leadership here in Washington, there is no leadership. They're just fucking making it up, and they're woke as hell. And unfortunately, we're all going to pay the price for that. I appreciate that, Robert. Sorry to be so so uh, brief, but I really want to get the other other questioners. I really no appreciate worry. your input. No I worry. really appreciate your input, Robert. Baron, you got a question? Go quickly, please, Baron. Baron, you got a question? Yeah, you caught me off guard, but it's not about China. So if you just want to stick to that topic, I'll just I'll divert. I sent you messages about it, but what we didn't touch on is about chip manufacturing, how important that is uh, lately, at least, and how uh, Russia now controls 
you know, the palladium and neon supply for, you know, over half of it, neon supply for the world. It's a huge problem. And actually, you know what? I want Abe to talk about this. Sure not, so much about, not so much about semiconductors, okay? It's not really what's interesting. What's interesting is uh, Abe and Three Aces, who have a lot of experience trading international markets, it's all these little things that happen. Like, like Abe will tell you a little bit, and Abe could go to a brief summary of what he said. Abe deals a lot in international metals markets and steel and all this other stuff. And so you make a great point about the neon. I'd read about that, that, you know, uh, Ukraine was supplying 50% of the world's uh, neons um, uh, supply. But there's so many other markets, commodities, widgets, this, that, and everything else, where there are like second order effects that no one's even thought about. The headlines are grabbed by energy and grains. So, Abe, could you just talk for a little bit about the dislocations you're seeing in some of the markets? Because you're very active in that part of the world, Abe. Yeah. So, Ukraine's, um, again, one of the largest manufacturers of um, or producers of iron ore, um, coal, wheat, uh, all kinds of metals. I mean, it's just a, a, a huge you know, backyard of, of commodities. What's happening is that you're seeing large, very, very large companies that are exporters to China, okay, for these raw materials have actually gone offline. In the process, um, all of the other feeder uh, mills that they feed in Eastern Europe are also going offline. So Latvia is is now slowly going offline. Belarus is completely off, offline. Moldova is not accepting orders. Turkey's not accepting any additional orders. Um, so you're, you're now you're starting to see contagion, what I would call, you know, kind of counterparty risks in terms of not just credit, but also in terms of actual supply. So once they go down, and I'll give you an example. Last week we saw... Um, uh, we saw the price of wire rod as an example um, that feeds into everything from construction to rebar to you name it. Um, that had gone up 22% in a span of three days worldwide. This is global now. So you ask yourself when people say, gee, you know, Ukraine, it doesn't really have that much of an impact. It's Russia's $1.5 trillion in terms of uh, GDP. And I ask myself, or I ask everyone here, if it's so inconsequential, how the hell did it move the steel price 22% in a span of days? And tomorrow morning when I, when I get up, I'll probably have 10 conference calls and I'll be literally putting out fires in terms of, you know, re, repricing almost everything that has been sold already. So that's what's happening from a global perspective. The supply chains, if they were screwed before, now they're five times more screwed. And so, and Abe, what you're describing, and we're going to move along here, was a great question. But what you're describing, Abe, I imagine is happening in like so many different markets. It's just you got this finely tuned globally, global economy and you, know, you upset one thing and boom, everything else gets screwed up. So thanks for the question. Really appreciate it. Abe, stay up there because there's going to be more coming your way. Um, all right. So we're going to go to Cardi. Cardi, what's up? Cardi, are you there? I don't know where Cardi went. All right, let's go to hold on. Get some more speakers up here. I want to get through again. We got the twenty-minute warning now. We're going to close this room at six o'clock. So, sorry, six twenty. So, everyone keep that in mind. So, let's go to uh, Cardi's. Not there. Let's go to Maggers. Maggers, what's up? Cardi, you, Cardi, there, you now? there now? All right. 
Okay. Well, if you're if you're up on stage and you want to talk, raise your hand. Hey, Tra- Travis, so- no, Baggers, hold it. Hold it, Maggers. You had your chance to come again. Right. Travis, your hands up. What's up, Travis? Travis? Yeah, we've talked a lot about all the things that could go wrong. I kind of want to flip it and see what would it take to go right to make you feel we're going in the right direction. All right, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> For me, like, Putin gets bumped off, likely. Um, the Biden administration offering... Uh, an off-ramp to Putin that he can accept and save face. That'd be the sensible thing to do. I don't know. Those are my first two things. Um, Abe, Dave, O'Hare, anybody else on stage have have an answer to that? Dave C. or Abe, any thoughts? Well, I would just say... Go ahead. Go ahead. Abe, go ahead. Abe, go ahead. What would go right? I'll tell you what could go right on a realistic level. Okay? Some, some dose of reality here. That the uh, this come to a uh, a diplomatic close uh, immediately. I'm talking immediately, um, and uh, we get some decompression from in terms of uh, you know total um, you know uh, put it this way. We allow diplomacy to kind of uh, take form. We give Russia um, uh, uh, an honorable exit. We have to accept the fact that likelihood of them leaving. Um, parts of, of Ukraine that they've taken over uh, is silly because they're not going anywhere. And uh, we find ways to demonstrate some real global leadership coming from the West, primarily from the Biden administration, so that they too can get a what I would deem a, an honorable exit. Because I think, honestly, at this point, um, they have lost. The Russians are going to get skewered. But at the end of the day, if they've achieved the outcome, who gives a shit? They've they've achieved what it is that they wanted to achieve. So the question is, what is it that you think uh, will provide a um, a good exit? And what? How do you define that exit? Is it from a uh, a markets perspective, a stability perspective? There's a million things that you'd have to look at. But in my view, the best thing could happen is a is a quick end to this. Yeah, let me just yeah. pile on to that and, and O'Hare, you jump in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think for starters, you know, you got to give them some language about we're not going to force or we're not going to allow the Ukraine to join NATO. Um, you don't get mixed up in the internal affairs of the Ukraine if, if maybe there's some deal where Ukraine has to give away part of the country or whatever. I mean, you got to give him something where he can claim a win. And I don't know what that looks like. Uh, well, well you have a thought on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, listen, I, I, you, you have to step all the way back to his, like, where does Putin come from, right? He comes from the old Soviet Union. He's a former KGB operative. This guy is trained. In, he's a ruthless, ruthless, you know, dictator is what he is. And I just don't think that we're going to be able to negotiate with him, and for, partly for two reasons. One, obviously, the nukes that Russia has, but that's, not, that's a non-starter for everybody. More importantly, it's the energy. It's the agricultural products. It's all the natural resources. Putin knows, and his, his, the, the people that surround him are very smart people. They know that they have Europe over a barrel. So I think it's going to be Ukraine or bust. I just don't think he's going to relent. I don't think we're going to be able to sit down and have a, a, you know, a powwow with him and say, look, you know, you get this part of Ukraine. They're going to go NATO on this part. Everything's going to be fine. We're not going to do sanctions. I don't think any of that's going to work. Already people are getting killed every single day. I mean, he's already devastated much of Ukraine on the east. So I just think he's 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 bitten off way more than he could chew, and he knows that. I think a lot of people yeah. know that over there. So I just don't think there's a All reasonable right. solution. 
George, George, can I just interrupt real quick? Yeah, no, KFAB, hold on one second. We have 16 minutes to go. I'm going to let KFAB make a comment, and then I'm going to reset the room. KFAB, thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to mention Globex opened. Uh, crude is up 10 bucks. Uh, 10 percent, I'm sorry. And uh, Arbob's up 8 percent. Lovely. Uh, yeah, so, and and uh, Brent was, the futures at least were pretty disorderly. It was at a five or six dollar right bid ask. What is gold up? Uh, gold is uh, only up 1%. What, yeah, what are the S&P futures doing, KFM, you know? Down 1%. All right, yeah. okay. All right, thanks. For, okay, so let's reset the room. Uh, I really don't want to talk any more geopolitics because there, there are enough rooms on Twitter that do that. So the remaining 15 minutes, we're not talking geopolitics. If that's what you want to talk about, please unraise your hand. Do not speak. Um, okay, so we're going to do Maggers and then Jayesh and Travis. Maggers, what's up? Hey, man. Sorry, first time using the room. I didn't notice the mute button was on earlier. Um, so I'm a, I'm a, I run a small fund, um, you know, value, commodities, you know, long gold, uranium, silver, natural gas and oil, basically. That's where I'm at. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you guys covered this earlier, but you know, looking at you know how the likely outcomes here, whether they, uh, you know, uh, there's almost no scenario, even with a ceasefire, that that any of the commodities uh, problems which are building up are going to be solved. So that's likely to keep going. The Fed have made it clear that they're basically going to hike at least, uh, you know, until it breaks. So I have this sort of feeling, this early early late feeling in terms of you know of you know, maybe it's sort of this commodity explosion, but eventually the whole thing is going to you know, bust into a deflation. And at the same time, I'm looking at credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank's share prices and thinking, shit, there's something broken with this Russia deal and there's going to be another, you know, European bank blow up. Um, you guys, you know, trade the market. So it would be interesting to hear what your, you know, what your sh- Yeah, what your- man, 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 your I wish you were in the room two hours ago. We kind of beat that to a pulp in the first hour of the room. Uh, <laughs> okay, sorry. Maybe, maybe, listen, maybe listen to the replay. And, and, and we'll do some more rooms, but I, I just I don't want to go back to that again. It's not fair to everybody else in the room. Um, all right, so Jayesh and then KFAB. Jayesh? Hi, George. Uh, thank you for allowing me to ask a question. First of all, thank you for hosting such amazing spaces. The quality is far, far better. I can't express in words than what you even hear within some of the big banks. Uh, my question is uh, is on valuations now. Uh, they, I was reading this book by Richard Lawrence, uh, The Overlook Investments. He made a very specific comment that China market bottoms when Hang Seng Index it trades at one times price to book. Now, that happened during the Asian financial crisis when the bottom happened and currently Hang Seng market is trading at one time price to book at the moment. What's your view currently? Uh, is this valuation in the China market suggesting a bottom or any any view you have per se? Sorry, I had you on mute. Is your question about China or Hong Kong? What is it exactly, please? What's the question? What's so, the exact so, question? Yeah. Hang Seng market, the bottom in the Hang Seng market. So, so some of the uh, some of your peers who were with you in that that point of time investing, they they they, are, they talk about Hang Seng market making a bottom at one times price to book, which happens during during the Asian financial crisis. It's happening right now. You see, now investors would now be moving their money towards China after all this geopolitical thing that has happened and the attractive valuation 
away from Europe, US, and the likes. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I just think we're in a risk-off environment, and and I'm not. I, I, I think those who are expecting China to unla- unleash a big liquidity boom to profit their markets, I think they're going to be disappointed. So, yeah, I've been out of Chinese markets. I still am. I, I, I'm not tempted. I mean, maybe it goes down less than the US than the Western markets, but. I don't know. It doesn't do much for me. So, sorry. Well, can, I, can I just chime in real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I've been I've been in so many rooms where the topic is China, Alibaba, and all these others. You know, the, here's the reality: it, it, you don't know what you own in China. There's plenty of opportunities in the U.S. There are thousands of stocks to choose from. I don't understand this appetite for China or even yeah. Latin America. Oh, oh, I mean, oh here, you, you know, you, you know, know what it is. It, it, it's part of the. It's part of the. Is uh, Jared Dillon. Yep. Uh, Daily Dirt Nap, and I put it on my Twitter feed the other day. He wrote a piece. It was entitled, "I'm sure you saw it here." It's entitled "Degenerates," and basically, it's this, it's this, it's this propensity to do dumpster, uh, degenerate dumpster diving. You know, RSX yeah. has gone from twenty-five to five. Let's buy some. China's down. Let's yeah. buy some. Well, maybe it's there yeah. for a reason. So anyway, right. l- l- let's know. God, let, we don't, we're running short on time. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole anymore. So I think we, we sure. answered Dinosaur's question. All right, we're gonna do this in order now. We're gonna do Tempest. Yep. So, and then we're going to do, do Tempest and then Archer. Tempest. Okay. Uh, run a small quant find out of Melbourne and Australia. Just wanted to share a little tidbit about Yellow Cake. Uh, Australia has. Uh, hold, hold, wait, 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 wait. This is not a democracy. You haven't been in my rooms. If it's to push a certain stock, I'm not. No, interested. no. Do you have a market comment? No, it's a broad, right. it's a broader market comment okay. because right, we, we don't, go we ahead. don't enrich. Uh, we just have a large stockpile of it, but there's been a, moratorium on enriching for many years but last year our prime minister pushed a little trojan horse with the um sub deal with the us the uh uranium powered submarines and quite a few people in my circle now for some time have believed that it's a backdoor to try to allow us to enrich in order to be a uh, substitute supplier for enriched uh, for us and other mature markets so i just wanted to add that just in case russian and kazakhstani supply drops out Thank you for that. Appreciate it. No problem. Uh, Arch, Archer, you're up. What's up? Hey, gents. Uh, just a question. Like, I'll keep it brief, but I'm by no means an expert on this market, but I noticed that the, the coal market's pretty interesting. I mean, Newcastle Thermal just blew through 400 bucks last week, and all these companies are kind of beaten up in the last 10 years, like of ESG. Um, and there's a lot of kind of good bargains there, especially with natural gas getting so out of control. Um, it should, like incentivize i'd say a lot more uses of coal so i was wondering if anyone was would you know had anything to say on the coal market yeah so coal is the worst of the worst in terms of esg bullshit everything you say is right the problem is it's been so ostracized i mean i remember two three months ago talking to former ceo of the world's biggest right personal friend of mine former ceo of the world's one of the world's biggest mining companies Telling me how you know if you're trying to get you know they will be forced to invest coal assets because all the ESG pressures and the amazing thing was you couldn't find too many buyers because even the private equity funds the sponsors of their funds have ESG mandates blah 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 blah. Fact of the matter is, and someone will correct me on this, probably Abe. Um, I think I saw a stat. Can't remember if it was German, UK, or European-wide coal production was actually like I think up eighteen percent or something like that for two thousand twenty-one. So despite all the ESG bullshit, you know, when you don't want to freeze your ass off, they 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 burn more coal. So coal, 
Cole's going to be one of these co- compounding things where I don't think you're going to get much in the way of valuation expansion because all the ESG bullshit. I mean, I think Cole Asks is very attractive, but they're kind of like the Rodney Dangerfield of uh, the energy patch. They get no respect. So, I don't know. Abe, you got any insights on Cole? Uh, not really, other than Matt Cole, because Matt Cole will continue to, to catch yeah. a bid. But yeah, everything yeah. else, the regular shit, um, look, you know, it's pretty simple. I think I mentioned this before. You'll get substitution if one uh, if one energy source becomes way too expensive. So, yeah, you'll probably catch a bid on just general coal. Uh, but I, I, I have to believe it'll be the first thing that gets uh, that gets pummeled uh, with with any uh, retracement in uh, traditional uh, fossil fuels. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Abe. So oh, here I've totally lost track here. Who's left to speak and who hasn't spoken? Um, I don't know. Is there, is there someone that is next in line or hasn't spoken? Well, uh, we don't have any hands up, so I think we'll, I, I just think we got a lot of listeners in here. Anybody else have any questions? Anybody on stage? Want, anybody on stage have a question, or anybody else want to uh, raise their hand? We're gonna. We got the, the James Bond clock is ticking. We got seven minutes left to go here. Um, if nobody, I mean, Abe, anything else you want to talk about? I mean, you, you, you got a lot. Uh, of no, no, I'm just but... listening to you guys. It's all been well. Good. I, I, let, while we wait for someone else to come up, I just got to say something about the coal thing because we used to be in coal for a, for a long, long time, and uh, it didn't work out because a lot of these coal plays—not uh, metallurgical, but thermal coal—they uh, were uh, highly levered companies that ended up going through reorg. But having said that, I'm, I'm still a believer in coal. There's a lot of coal in the world. There's a lot of coal here in the U.S. Uh, a lot of coal being uh, mined still to this day. Uh, the ESG thing killed coal, but let me tell you. Coal today is much cleaner burning than it was even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, certainly. So uh, with the advent of new uh, technologies, scrubbers and different things that they're doing with coal, uh, it's a much cleaner fuel source than people realize. So, you know, there are some companies out there. I've uh, tweeted about them from time to time. I won't mention them right now, but uh, check out my Twitter. I may uh, throw that out there a little later. But there are companies out there involved in this exact space that are going to do very well. India still burning coal, a lot of places in Europe, I mean, all over the world. So I think coal may have a revolution uh, in the not too distant future. Thanks. So thanks. Sir. So, hey, my friend, what's up? We've got five minutes left to go in this room. What's up? Sir? I, I just wanted to acknowledge that WTI is at 130 bucks right now. Uh, the, 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 at the petrol station, the prices are taken off. They went from uh, they went from $1.70 all the way to $2.10. Uh, you know, per, certain pop, parts of the you know, population are going crazy over the price hikes. And this doesn't seem like it's letting up. So uh, I just wanted to, I, 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 I just actually, wanted actually, to get. So, hey, so, 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 hey, there's this, um, so, hey, could you help me here? Um, there's this person, uh, Kathy Wood. I, I think she, she has her hand raised. Um, she wants to talk about whale oil and. Why so this is this is what's remarkable. Her 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 price forecast was twelve dollars. We're at one hundred and twenty nine dollars. So it, so hey so hey so hey, can you let me know when those and I'm gonna curse you those motherfucker weekly options trading set up assholes. Okay, who with their Nvidia and their Tesla <laughs> and their and their Rivian, shove it up your fucking ass. Okay. All right, that when those rooms see to exist, then then the top is in. Okay, these motherfuckers still haven't gotten the memo. <laughs> yeah, well, this is just the insane implications, right? You know, there's people complaining about you know, just people are just staying at home. It, it, like the cost of transportation is getting really, really expensive. 
uh, just the, the pressure doesn't seem to be letting up. It just yeah, seems so, like it's so, continuously so on the so rise. So, you know how it goes. Be woke and go broke. All right. August, you're up. What's up, man? August, you're up. Yeah, back to uh, refining. What uh, refiners in the U.S. are geared towards sweet crude? Uh, we lost We lost Shabon. I don't know where he went. He's our guy. He's not here. Bring that question up. Javier is here. Javier is here if he wants to come up. Javier would love to have yeah, you. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but hold on. No, 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 no. But so, yeah, he was anyway. So if I don't want – we only got a few minutes left. I really don't want to go down a rabbit hole deep on energy because we're running out of time here. Um, so, August, great question. Bring it up in the next – you know what? You should, you should uh, connect with uh, Javier who's beneath you. Um, he knows this stuff. Or Shabam, he knows this stuff. But I, I, in deference to the fact you only have three minutes left here and the size of the room, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole if you don't mind. All right, so we're going to do All Good and then Tempest and then Board, who I'm going to bring up. All Good, what's up? All Good, are you there? Okay, not there. Tempest, what's up? Yeah, just quickly, uh, one thing that's been completely overlooked with Crimea is that um, – its water supply comes from upriver. And the first thing the Russians did when they got in there was they turned the water back on uh, because that warm water fleet, that warm water subfleet in Crimea is the only outlet they had it to the Mediterranean and the Atlantic. So it wouldn't surprise me if we got a hot war, um, given that Putin talks to Erdogan more than any other world leader on the phone in the world, that they go after the Straits of Marmara and the Bosphorus. So that's a, that's a critical geostrategic um, choke point for them. Um, it's their only warm water access for their subs and their destroyers. So um, probably look out Turkey if things really escalate. Thank you for that, Tempest. And by the way, I lost track of all the tweets, but I tweeted something out the other day. There's a wonderful video I watched, which explains, gives, and I'm, I'm embarrassingly ignorant about the history of all this stuff, but I suspect I'm not the only one. There's a wonderful video um, yeah, it's uh, where are we here? I gotta find it. It gives a history of of of, of the conflict and everything. I'll, I'll find it and retweet it, perhaps. But yep. it pointed out in particular in Crimea the, the water issue that you mentioned. So yeah, they've been very, they've been busing in water for years. Point. Yeah. Yep. Um, so well, that that's an excellent point. Really appreciate that. Excellent point, Tempest. Um, all right, I think that's gonna do it, unless. Well, God, Marcellus, anything you want to say? I mean, otherwise we're closing the room. We've been doing, we've been going at this for two hours and twenty minutes, and it's enough. I'm getting tired. So, um, O'Hare, you got anything to say? Abe, anybody? I so, think we're hey, good, man. That was fantastic. Oh, good. It was excellent. Yeah. yeah so, hey, what, so hey, what do you got? I just wanted to say, if you would allow me, just brief marketing. I'm going to be opening a room on 129 dollars oil. If anyone's interested, that's it. Got it. Fantastic. It's because of you. I just try to coordinate these things. So uh, we'll do it again. Everyone take care. Good night and uh, be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night, George. Bye. Good night.